Welcome to Real Talk Fantasy. Today, we're trying something new. A guest star, Colby Caldwell, comes on the show as we discuss the AFC East. You are listening to Real Talk Fantasy. Welcome to Real Talk Fantasy. I am not your host. I am the producer, Gary, and I am with Colin today and a star guest, Colby Caldwell. He's in our league. We have our fantasy league. We've talked about it before. Last year, he made playoffs after starting 0-4. Pretty crazy. Andy is out sick. He actually left the fantasy football bubble, <laughs> so he's required to <laughs> sit for a couple weeks. No, I don't know. He's He's out there gambling and talking to all the hoes out there in Las Vegas. Anyways, so, Colby. Uh, so, Gary, I actually wanted to, uh, you know, ask our star guest. I feel like this would be some valuable insight, you know, for the fantasy community out there. This was actually the first time I had played in the league and saw someone turn 0-4 into a uh, playoff run. So what's going through your mind when you start out 0-4? And what do you do? Do you do you stick with your guys? Do you believe in them? Do you make moves? Like, do you panic? What what is what does one do when they're owned for? And how do you turn it around? Oh well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. Glad to be on. Love the podcast. And really, when I got in that situation, you can't go in panic mode. There are guys who freak out and start selling off all the decent assets that they have just to kind of try to build some depth. Make sure you take a few shots in the draft. Talk to guys in your league that you think are reliable and make some moves that might benefit both of you. And then you just got to take it week by week because at the end of the day, even if your points are, are low, if you win enough games, you're getting in. It's all one about step the wins. at a time. Yeah, one, one week at, at a time. time. Like just get that. the win that week. Roster management, research throughout the season. That Trust that really helps. Yeah, yeah. Trust the guys you drafted if you have beliefs in them and the ones that you're faltering on. Take advantage of people who like them. And I mean, there's, I bet there's a lot of buy low candidates at the time. Like I remember uh, Diggs was pretty much going for free on uh, week five, you know? Cause he yeah, I think I, think I gave him to uh, a friend of ours for Will Fuller, just straight up. <laughs> Will Fuller for Stefan Diggs. I and probably Diggs after, had that yeah, big-ass game. Yeah, yeah, after he had 50 points in a game on somebody yeah. else's bench, I just flipped him. So Dude, actually and Andy I, traded him to me. And it probably felt like – and probably made you feel good in your stomach when you made that trade because you're like, Diggs is awful. Fuller's a beast. But, like, if you look at it, if you abstract it out, you're probably like, this was the most obvious, so high, buy low trade that could have ever happened. But Yeah, that's that's finance 101. Buy low, crazy. so high. From a finance major. Yeah, absolutely. So happy to be here, guys. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started. We're talking about a shitty division. That's the AFC East. Actually, a lot of these teams in the division have a tough schedule this year. Um, and we'll get into more of that here in a little bit. But the first team we're going to talk about is the New York Jets. Last year, they were 7-9, and nine, which is kind of surprising. They're actually 7-6 and six when Sam Darnold was healthy. This year, they're projected seven wins, and they have the second toughest strength of schedule. They're kind of in the news lately with the Jamal Adams trade. He actually got shipped off to... Seahawks for two first round picks, which you could argue it worked out well for both teams. Colin, I know yeah. we're not talking fantasy here, but what do you think about that trade? You real know, football. from a real perspective, anytime you can add a super talented safety, I mean, I think that's worth the risk, you know? And I, I'm a big believer in the team that got the best player in the trade 
won the trade. So I mean, if you're throwing draft picks in there, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot. So if you can bring in a talented player, do it. So that's my opinion. I think another big thing is, too, is that he didn't want to be there. And so the fact that you can switch a guy who doesn't want to be there for immediately two-round draft picks, I mean, it's yeah. not – it doesn't hurt. Like, obviously, you're taking a gamble, especially with how the Jets draft because you don't know who they're going to get. But and, um, I mean, the Jets are a rebuilding team. But, you know, I personally think with football, it's not like basketball where, you know, you try and get a few superstars and develop them. Like, football right. – Everything can change in one year. I'm mean, just looking at the 49ers last year or how dominant the Ravens became. Not to mention, like, the bust rate between, like, the first pick and the 32nd pick also varies a lot. So it's it's not as star-driven. So I don't really – not to say I don't believe in rebuilding, but I don't think it's, like – it's just different than other sports because you can turn things around quick. So I think you're better off keeping the stars on your team. Yeah, especially, yeah. I mean, they'll have their first-round pick this upcoming season, which will likely be, I don't know, 10 to 20 range. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on top of that, they're going to get a late first-rounder from the Seahawks. If they can bulk up their O-line, they've got some weapons. I, I think Donald's decent, so I hate Gase. But aside yeah. from that, I, I think it could work out for them in the next few years. But, uh, again, I, I like what you said, Gary. He does, they didn't want to be there, so yeah, get him out. And let's – Let's talk I like about it for the Seahawks though, because I mean the Seahawks. Oh, they, I do too. It might be a win-win. Even though, uh, even though they're like uh, their defense is as dominant as it used to be, you bring in a guy like Adams, and that's the type of football they want to play. Strong changes defense, the culture immediately. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's uh, go ahead and get into the okay. the head coach that Colby was talking about, Adam Gase, and I mean Jamal Adams just lit into him multiple times. He calls the plays for him. And actually, LaDainian Thomason, back when he played with him, I don't know what year it was, but he called him a mastermind at calling plays. Really interesting because he just seems like a shitty coach from the outside. But from a coaching perspective or like, you know, maybe losing the team perspective, Colby, what do you think for, of Adam Gase? I know you already said you hated him. Yeah, not a big fan of Gase, well, particularly not for fantasy and, and really probably the guy with the most fantasy talent on the team from past experience has been Le'Veon. And he, he's not really a guy that I want to touch because of Gase. I mean, what did he get, 16 carries a game last year? I just don't trust the consistency. His team's not all that good, and I don't know if he'll have a job in the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely going to be fighting for his life here this year. Colin, I know you said that they're one of the slowest teams in the league. I think they run about 70% 11 personnel. Just talk to me about like what kind of play style he has that makes it bad for fantasy. Okay. So I think with Gase, I mean, you you even stretch it back before last year. He's consistently one of the slowest coaches in the league. On top of that, he loves committees. He's not the type of guy that wants to go out and bring in a guy like Le'Veon Bell and play him every snap. But that was out of his control last year. So he was forced to kind of play him that much. And I think that's why you'll see, like, Le'Veon's going to be, you know, first in the consistency rankings last year. Yeah, because he's playing every snap. And... When you're playing every snap and you're using the passing game, on top of being part of a terrible offense that doesn't score touchdowns because, you know, touchdowns create inconsistency because it's worth six points. You don't get it every week. My point is don't be fooled by seeing some good things like that and be like, oh, I want to buy Le'Veon Bill. And they drafted an offensive lineman, but they're one of the lowest ranked offensive lines. It's one of the slowest offenses in the league. And there's murmurs about possibly Bill being traded, which is just kind of a negative cloud for him to be over his head. And on top of that, there is talks about splitting up his time. And you want to know what pisses me off? What type of headlines piss me off? 
headlines that are like, we're going to play him less snaps, but he's going to be more efficient because he's fresh. Okay, how'd that go for Todd Gurley last year? In fact, can you give me one fantasy instance when you took away volume and somehow the productivity went up? It makes it, It's a nonsensical argument. He wasn't playing bad last year because he was not fresh. He was playing bad last year because the offensive line was shitty and right. they weren't running plays and they weren't scoring touchdowns. So him playing less snaps is only a bad thing. In fact, it's a nightmarish thing because he only averaged like 14 points a game last year in like a Christian McCaffrey-esque role. So if you take away that role, he's going to go down to – he's not even an RB2 anymore. He's going to be arguably unplayable. So that's why to draft him around third or fourth just because he played a lot last year and ignore all of the clouds over him now, it just seems like a really bad bet on top of his age and his uh, declining productivity. Yeah, I mean, last year averaged 3.2 yards per carry. I mean, we talked about our running back rankings a couple weeks ago, and he wasn't even mentioned. Like We talked about guys that could potentially be a running back one, and no one even talked about him. I mean, he did have 78 targets. I mean, that's up there. And he was running back 16 on the year, like you said, consistent. Are we, are we riding him off too early? Or is there a round that you would take him in? What do you think, Colby? I would maybe take a chance in the fifth. It, but it always depends on how your draft has gone to that point. I mean, if you're a guy who has Christian McCaffrey or, or something like that, that's actually an instance where you might take a chance on a guy like him being a solid RB2 if you can snag him if he slides a little bit. But at his ADP, I wouldn't take him. Yeah, right now his ADP is running back 19. It's 3.08. And there's just – there's, some guys, there's some guys behind him that just look so much more appetizing. I mean, we'll talk about Devin Singletary today. But you got Mark Ingram, mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor, if you want to take a risk there, Chris Carson, Raheem Mostert. And then, like, you can get a wide receiver one. Like, Allen Robinson's ADP is 3.08. So, Allen Robinson, who's pretty much a lock – to be a wide receiver one type numbers as much as a lock as there can be with like what you expect from the volume and you want to take a chance on a running back that's in a terrible offense that's aging might get traded you don't know what's going to happen and it's looking to be somewhat like a committee when's the last time frank gore went to a team and he didn't play at least like 40 percent of snaps and he didn't get a bunch of carries Oh, that's a really good question. He really always question. does. Yeah, he always eats into those carries, particularly on the goal line, too. So I it mean, reminds me a lot of when Kenyon Drake had just had his, you know, breakout season on the Dolphins. And then they brought in Frank Gore. And everyone said, Don't worry about Frank Gore. Don't worry about Frank Gore. He's washed. He's done. He's old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was like and, 10 years ago. And I know. He's and, still and the, the same guy goes dude. out and, and he went out and led them in rushing that year. And Kenyon Drake had a weird kind of passing down role that just was not very beneficial. And that was Drake being very efficient. And I say these situations because this was pretty recent. It was the same damn coach. Like, this is what happened. Like, why wouldn't that happen again? Let me ask you this. In the right situation, would you take Le'Veon Bell or Melvin Gordon first? I'd take Melvin Gordon in a heartbeat. Because at least Melvin <laughs> Gordon, I think he's, you know, he looks kind of slow and bad to me. I think Lindsay's actually He's got a, a better, better backup, football. though. Melvin Gordon has a better backup. Yeah, that's true. Lindsay? But, like, Melvin Gordon is being coached by Pat Schumer, who is the RB1 machine. He went out and made Dalvin Cook a thing his rookie year. He went to the Giants, drafted Barkley, made him a thing immediately. I think those, those two guys are too athletic to not be things. Who? Barkley and... Dalvin Cook? Dalvin I'm Cook. I'm talking about the way he uses his... But Melvin guys. Gordon, I mean, was what? RB3? 
four or three just a couple of years yeah, ago. They, product- yeah, I use a three down back. Like I, I get, have Melvin just is- ahead of, of Le'Veon. I, I'm a little low on both of them probably. But Garrett, it sounds like you would go I don't I don't particularly like both of these guys, especially when you got Chris Carson right there, who I think I mean that team definitely I can rely on getting in the end zone and likes to run the ball. But Le'Veon just catches he catches too many passes to be considered in the same kind of area as Melvin Gordon because you don't know what they're going to do with Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay is a thousand yard rusher two years in a row. Yeah, Philip Lindsay's great. I agree. I, and they, I think I think Lindsay's a great value at his ADP, and I don't even want Gordon. But like, I don't think you're seeing the red flags with Le'Veon enough. Like, Le'Veon well, you're not seeing the red flags with Melvin. Because Le'Veon is going to catch passes, and he's the lead guy. Do you think Mel- there's a good chance Melvin's not the lead guy? But they run the slow pace, and yeah, the, Frank like, Gore coming in and eating up carries in the terrible offensive line. Like, what away, is encouraging about Le'Veon? You're not going to have many touchdowns with Le'Veon already just by virtue of the terrible offense. The running efficiency is terrible. Playing as much as he did last year and used as much as he did, he was still only averaging RB2 numbers with a crazy role. We know the role is gone. I mean, he was, he was banged really up, too. To quarterback was up. What's that? He was banged up a little bit at the beginning of the year. His quarterback no, was up three games. I don't think it was banged up. I think the offensive line was bad, and I think it works very bad with his rushing style, which everyone said before the season. And then it happened exactly how a lot of people predicted it. You got a patient runner behind an offensive line that doesn't hold their blocks very long. Like, it's, <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible match. And we see uh, 3.2 yards a carry. I don't know if you realize how – god awful that efficiency is and i don't see any real reason it's going to get better and if you got a running back that's playing that bad why would you continue to play him other it's not, than in like a third down role that's not the point he will be the third down role and he's going to catch passes that's not what I enough, like. not enough passes to be well, how, a starting running back is melvin gordon going to be the lead guy are you guaranteed yeah that- yeah melvin gordon at least from the start of the year will be the lead guy that's what they said about Royce Freeman whenever they're whenever him and Philip Lindsay. I, don't think, I, I don't think the think talent's a little different there. I don't think they went Melvin's... out and paid Royce Freeman in free agency. And I don't think it was the same offensive coordinator. So I don't think those situations are very similar at all. You can't sell me at all on Melvin Gordon. But regardless, we'll move on. Another running back they had in the offseason. They drafted a kid from Florida, LaMichael Pirine. He's also not a three-down back, and I don't really think he's that athletic, but also Belial Powell and Ty Montgomery are gone, so maybe there's some opportunities there for Michael Piron. And that's another thing, too, is we don't have a preseason, and they officially canceled it, so you're not going to be able to see some of these guys. Like, you know, Colin Colin was big on Dalvin Cook a couple years ago because he had a couple big runs in the preseason and looked really good, and you're just not going to be able to see that with some of these guys this year. So it's kind of disappointing. Not to get too in-depth with it, but Colin, how does no preseason kind of affect the way you draft or the way you, you look at You know, at I think the preseason is, like, one of the most undervalued information you can get. Like, there was this guy named Upperhand Fantasy on Instagram. The year before Christian McCaffrey, not the year his RB1 year, but the year before that, before he had become a workhorse back, and I had read an article on his page, and it said, like, Christian McCaffrey is getting 90% usage with starters in preseason. He said... This is a pretty good indicator. He's going to play all three downs, like ridiculously so, because Scott Turner, he always does this, and we've, we're already seeing it in the preseason. Like, that is just – that's not speculation, you know? Like, we can speculate about anything all day, but, like, you go out and see it in preseason, and it's just real. And you can just stamp that onto, you know, your player profile for that guy. And then last year with the Vikings, I saw the Vikings. Has, I don't know if y'all remember the way Stefanski started out last year. 
he was running it like 60% of the time, like something yeah. absurd. Of, like through the Paul, like 17 times. And he did that the entire preseason. Like they had more than like 100 or 200 yards than any other team rushing in the preseason. So I was like, I kind of want their running back. Like it seems like they're just going to run it all the time. That seems nice. So yeah, I'm just saying like, you don't, you have to speculate more without the preseason is the uh, gist of that. Fair enough. Uh, before we start getting into these wide receivers, because there's a couple of wide receivers that you might want to look at. Let's talk about the guy who's going to get him the ball, Mr. Mono Boy himself. Wonder if it was actually COVID. But like I said earlier, they were seven and six last year when Sam Darnold played. In my opinion, I just kind of see him as an off-brand Josh Allen. He's like not that accurate throwing, maybe a little bit more accurate than Josh Allen, but he just doesn't run the ball. He's 31st yeah. in QBs for rushing yards with 62. Last year was quarterback 20 in the games that he played. So just not a lot to, you know, kind of get behind. There was a t there was a point last year where, like, a lot of analysts were kind of hyping him up whenever he's coming back from mono. Oh, he had a decent first game. Like, maybe you should look at him if you're struggling to find a quarterback. But really just piss-poor performance. Colby, what do you think about Sam Darnold? I don't think he's fantasy relevant this year. I mean, if you're stashing Sam Darnold, Why? Like what are you, what are you waiting for? It's not going to get better. It's the same situation. It's the same bad offensive line and head coach. It's not going to be pretty. Uh, I think he's a decent quarterback. I honestly, in a different situation, think that he could be successful in the NFL. And maybe yeah, I mean, that's... look at look at Ryan Tannehill, how he's done. With yeah, him. yeah, exactly. And and that was a mess of a coaching staff back in the day as well. That was Gase involved too uh, during some of that time. I know. So I, I'm not touching Sam Darnold. I don't really know that there's a lot to discuss about that with his situation. Yeah, I agree. It's just yeah. not you, – you might as well try and get either, you know, someone that's going to be really high floor if you're going to wait as long as you would to get a quarterback if you're, you know, looking at Sam Darnold. And if you're going to wait that long, why not get, like, Ryan Tannehill or – Joe Burrow. Or even Terod Taylor, honestly. If it's or anyone else. Ryan Fitzpatrick, yeah. for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, they just <laughs> – better situations it's just kind of pointless i but, would yeah. rather start ryan fitzpatrick week one than yeah I mean, by like fitzpatrick a was, lot or Derek carr fitzpatrick was or, really great down the stretch last year yeah he was and we'll get into fitzpatrick here when we talk about the dolphins but it is important to know how good sam darnold is when you're considering these wide receivers especially if you own them so the jets have the third most vacated targets from last year to this year that's 183 they do sign Brashad Perriman to a $6.5 million deal. He's 26 years old. Last year, he played for the Bucks, And actually, during weeks 15 through 17, whenever Godwin and Evans were hurt, he was wide receiver number two. A lot of yeah. people don't pay attention to those weeks. But if you were struggling to find a, a flex, maybe, and you were in the playoffs, it's a good chance you had some success. Yeah. Um, you know what? You know what I want to say about Perriman? He was actually drafted super early. So, like, the scouts aren't stupid, you know. They did it for a reason. And Perriman was just, like, pretty unlucky with injuries, but the talent was there. He was a beast at UCF. So, at that point, it just becomes, like, when's a coach going to give him a chance if, if he's got the talent? Because don't write off that he was wide receiver, too. Like, think of how many times a wide receiver gets hurt and the backup does nothing, you know, doesn't mm -hmm. do even close to what the guy before was doing. So you have to be really, really good to put up those kind of numbers and replace Mike Evans seamlessly. So with that being said, Perriman's role is quite obvious. It's going to be uh, Robbie Anderson's role. And Anderson with Darnold was like wide receiver 30, like uh, week six on. 
So I think that's a pretty fair uh, representation of what you can expect from Perriman in the role. And it's kind just, of like the uh, Kenny Stills role on the Dolphins a few years ago with Gay. So Just so inconsistent. I mean, when I had yeah, Robbie yeah. Anderson last year, and I could never tell whenever – whenever he was going to do good. And I just got to the point where I was like, dude, I've had enough. I'm getting rid of him. Oh yeah, no doubt. But I'm, I'm going to make a, my prediction would be, I'm not even going to say it's a bold prediction, but Perryman's going to be a guy that probably doesn't get drafted in a lot of leagues. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be a waiver pickup the first two weeks. Cause he'll have at least, you know, he'll have his good and bad games. So do you think he lives up to a waiver pickup or do you think he ends up back on waivers? I think he lives up to a guy that, you know, he's, on the bench and people are playing them in the flex every now and then when they like the matchup. So I, th- I think if you're drafting super late at wide receiver and you want a guy that's not going to be a wasted pick, why not take uh pyramid? Yeah. Right now he's going as wide receiver 60. That's 14th round 14.05. Some of the guys around him, I mean, an Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, there's some potential there. Speaking of Robbie Anderson, he's down there at 66, same round. But, I mean, yeah, if you want some potential, he's probably the guy you want to target in that range. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a pretty pretty safe pick yeah. as far as, you know, that late, as safe as they can get that late. I just hate wasting picks, you know? Yeah. I tend to disagree just a little bit on him because with the inconsistency of the team, like if you're stashing him on your bench and maybe in desperation thinking about playing him, I don't know that I would have the balls to pull the trigger and put Brashad Perriman in my flex. Just with you how know, inconsistent and up and down they may be and how I anticipate them being throughout this season. So I don't know that he's a guy. If I can get a Robbie Anderson, give me Robbie Anderson. I think Robbie Anderson uh, is interesting as well, you know, with Joe Brady saying he's going to have a downfield passing attack similar to the one we saw at LSU. You know, it's just speculation, but he's going to be, tr- be uh, trying to get Teddy to – throw it downfield, which isn't something we've seen from Teddy Bridgewater mm-hmm. previously. So Robbie Anderson is definitely worthy of an investment. Also was coached by Matt Rule at Temple. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I have Perriman at 53 and Anderson at 54. But it's just like what I like about Perriman is he almost kind of reminds me of John Brown last year going super, super late. But he's got a concrete role in the offense, I believe, because I'm not too concerned about Mims at this point. So with that being said, you know, I mean, Darnold's pretty comparable in talent to Allen. They can support a downfield passing option. Not a super one, but they can try, you know. Let's talk about the guy that they definitely supported last year. It's Jamison Crowder. And he's, out of all the guys on the have on the staff for wide receivers, he definitely has the best rapport with Darnold. He's 27 years old. Last year was wide receiver 26. And that's kind of misleading because from weeks 6 through 17, he was actually wide receiver 15. And that's the weeks when Darnold was healthy. 70% of the slot. He was 16th in the NFL last year in targets, and he actually had a 24.7 target share. I mean, that, those are pretty good numbers. And right now, he's going as wide receiver 45. I mean, it makes no sense to me, honestly. Like, why would you draft Deontay Johnson over Jameson Crowder? Jameson Crowder, his role is secure. We know what we're going to get, and it was very fantasy relevant last year. Like, there's not a whole lot of change in his. There's not any change in his role. It's the same coaching staff. Like, why would you draft someone like Deontay Johnson over Jameson Crowder? Here's an argument we got into yesterday, Colin, when we tried to do this the first time. We look at the ADP, and Henry Ruggs is actually being drafted at the same spot, same oh average spot as Jameson Crowder. And Andy and Colby were big on Henry Ruggs, and I was saying kind of the same thing you were what? about Jameson Crowder. Crowder has the possibility to be 
a top 12 receiver next year. Like, that sounds crazy, but, like, I think it's it's possible. What's your take on Ruggs versus Crowder, Colby? I like Ruggs quite a bit. Let me pull up where I have him. I have them actually right next to each other. I have Crowder at 40 and Ruggs at 39. Kind of in that Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Christian Kirk. I don't know what to do with them range, but I would take a shot on Ruggs. If he gets some sort of a Tyreek Hill with that speed type of role on John Gruden's offense, maybe it works out. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I like the upside there at least. Like, I feel like you know what you're getting with Crowder, but if you're wanting to take a shot, like with real wide receiver one yeah. upside, I would be more surprised if Jameson Crowder was a wide receiver one than I would be if Henry Ruggs was. Really? I just, I just don't think rookie receivers is a, a very safe bet. Like in the last 10 years, we've only had two rookie receivers finish as a wide receiver one. Yeah. Where I'm hoping that Gruden gets creative with him because he, he is so athletic and fast. If they can get him the ball in space and just kind of, you never know. He might be that guy that's the sort of home run. Yeah. Hitter it's possible. Like there's Ruggs. some fast, there's some fast guys that don't pan out either. Look yeah. At John yeah Ross. Happens for sure. All the time. Hayward Bay, John Ross. Even though John um, Ross did have a couple of good weeks last year, but yeah, go ahead, Colin. Uh, yeah, I just I just don't think you should over uh, value Analyze. the speed, yeah. the speed, because like he already got drafted there because of his speed. He played in college because of his, of his speed. He's gonna play get playing time because of his speed. Like you can only assign so much weight for it. I think when you start saying, "Oh, now he's gonna be Tyreek Hill," it's like no, yeah, yeah no, point, no, you gotta I'm take a step back. I'm just saying like. I, who else are they going to throw the ball to aside from Darren Waller? I feel like Sam Darnold. Josh Jacobs, more. maybe? Hunter Renfro? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Seriously, but that's the thing. Like, he's going to be their number one wide receiver. I'm going to say that Henry Ruggs will lead the Raiders in receiving yards, probably Oof. outside of, of Waller. There you go. But I wouldn't be surprised if he got to 1,000 yards and six touchdowns or something like that. I don't – I think – I just don't think – I'd rather not risk it on a rookie receiver because I've no, – Yeah, fair enough. Happen. You know what you're getting. I'm just saying that. That type of I mean, riskier pick. Crowder's just like a guy. You draft him, and he's – there's a good probability he's going to be a wide receiver too, and you can get him at a super cheap price. Like, that's just nice. You can use that as trade value later. You can stick him in your flex and not have anything to worry about. He's super consistent with Darnold. I mean, that's just a tasty, tasty pick for me. So I have him as my wide receiver 33. And remember after his huge, his monster week one where he had 14 receptions off of 17 targets, everyone was like, I reached out to the guy who owned him in our league. I was like, hey, what can I what can I do for Crowder? Right. But here, here's the deal on the Ruggs and Crowder thing is Ruggs is going to go earlier in the draft because his name is fresh. And everyone knows him as the fast guy. Everyone knows him as that wide receiver that went first off the board this round. In a draft that was loaded with wide receivers, he was number one. And Crowder is going to probably go where he's, his ADP is at, if not even lower. I mean, there's going to be some smart guys. But I'm just saying, that, that value is going to be great. Oh, yeah, Crowder. crazy value. And I just don't like to waste picks. Because, like, you can turn these picks, you know, these picks that just end up being somewhat useful, and you can cobble them up together and get pretty decent players. Like, let's say someone made a couple wrong choices at receiver. Like, I remember when I did, I had uh, Diggs and Juju picked in the first few rounds last year. And I was desperate for receivers. Like, I would have killed for a Jamison Crowder type at that mm-hmm. point in the season. So, like, that's if you get good value and you don't miss on picks, that you can turn them into even better players. So, that's why I'd rather have a safe pick that I know is going to be useful. 
All right. So the last receiver that we're going to mention is Denzel Mims. He was a Baylor, actually four year, spent four years at Baylor. Second round draft pick. He's actually pretty fast. He's 96% on his 40. But I just don't think there's going to be enough targets here for him to be fantasy involved, especially being a rookie. Do y'all want to touch on him at all? Um, I like his I like his speed, his athleticism. I don't like that he played four years at Baylor. That's usually a pretty bad indicator. And I think he had a bad he had a bad like third year that kind of bumped him back where he he decided to go back a fourth year. Yeah. I mean he could be decent, but I'd rather not risk it on a rookie, especially with me thinking uh Perriman's pretty solid. So Right. And then so as we mentioned Robbie Anderson is out. He's at Carolina. But for as far as tight ends go, Chris Herndon, he missed 12 games last year. In 2018, he was tight end number 16, still not that good. I just There was a point last year where everyone was like, hey, make sure you go look at the waivers because Herndon's coming back. Dude, but, I know. I don't get it. I don't get what the hype is. He hasn't done anything. And on top of that, Gase doesn't really use his tight end very much historically. And then we have Crowder taking up the middle of the field, which Gase uses a ton historically. So what exactly is Herden's role in this offense? None. Block. <laughs> yeah, block. <laughs> no, he can't even block. That'd be Ryan Griffin, who actually had uh, five touchdowns last year. And even then, Ryan Griffin was completely not relevant, you know, by right. season end. So I just don't really understand the tight end's role in this offense. And I don't think Herden is a super talent because he hasn't really done shit in his career. So kind of pisses me off that all the experts were hyping that up all year. Always in my ear. Pick up Hurden. Pick up Hurden. Pick up Hurden. Y'all did nothing for anybody with that advice. They yeah. play they played like two snaps all year and he's a tight end. Like there's a way more interesting options at tight end than Chris Hurden. And they they want us to stash him for six weeks. That's literally what they advise people. Stash Chris Hurden for six weeks. A completely unproven commodity. Makes no sense. <laughs> Yeah, if you're in a spot where you're taking a look at Chris Herndon late this season because your you're tight end got hurt and you didn't have someone to back him up, yeah, go ahead and, and know that your season's over. You're going to lose that game. Pack it up. Yep, pack it up, go home, call it a year. I do not want to touch Chris Herndon. And yeah. I just want to touch on, you know, we haven't had a tight end episode yet, but I mean, just talking about late round tight ends, like there's so many more interesting guys. You got Jared Cook. Dallas Goddard, TJ Hawkinson, Mike Gusecki, John o. Smith, Noah Fant. Like, all those guys are up-and-coming guys that might be, like, the first or second options in their passing game. Right. And then you got Hurden, who hasn't done anything. Like, why would you and draft shit him? offense on a terrible team. It just, yeah. yeah there's, it makes no sense yeah. to me. Yeah, I'd take a chance on Goddard or Jarwin before him, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, nonsense. Okay, that's yeah. all I got to say. So, Andy's not here. He usually likes to talk about the O-line. But last year, they were pretty shitty. They were the 28th at the end of the year. They actually allowed pressure in two and a half seconds or less on about 27% of dropbacks, which was second highest in the NFL. And with Arnold, that's not going to be good news. I mean, our guys at uh, the uh, footballguys.com that's got the great ranker, I mean, they yeah. still got them at 29. <laughs> I mean, the amount of articles I see that, oh, the Jets got a, a, a right tackle in the second round or third round. Like, what do they think that is going to do to, like, the worst offensive line in the league last year? Like, yeah. what did they think? is? Did they sign Superman in free agency? <laughs> like, it's still shitty. What are they talking about? They're just grasping at straws. Hey, you think they'll be dumping it off more this year then? Maybe, like, Adam Gase actually puts on a smart cap here and is like, hey, let's use my guys to their best ability. Maybe we could get rid of the ball quickly. Maybe Jameson Crowder gets even more involved. I don't know. 
yeah, I'd be happy with that. I mean, Crowder was – Landry and Crowder in this role, they were running about three yards down the field and catching passes. Like, their target depth is atrocious. But it's super easy to do that job if you're, like, kind of a quick little guy like those guys are. I guess Landry's not little, but you get the point. Yeah, if your offensive line is that bad, you got to get the ball out quick. Makes right. sense. Y'all got anything else in the Jets? I won't be watching much of the Jets. <laughs> I don't think I, anyone. The last, the last bit I want to say about the Jets is they're an inside zone team. And if you ever look at the analytics of the outside zone run and how, how great it is, I mean, Ravens, 49ers, Minnesota, countless examples. You do not want inside zone, generally speaking, especially if it's a weak offensive line. So I just I'm so down on Bill's ability to do anything on the ground. How many running backs? are capable of getting by solely on the passing game. Eckler. James Wine. Even yeah, Eckler, <laughs> Eckler, Eckler was able to do it last year. And but even then Eckler still had a role running the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Gary, I was serious, man. James White has a role solely in the passing game. Yeah, okay, no, James did. White, Tariq James Cohen. White James White as well. Treat Cohen, I'm not gonna give you Treat Cohen because he was pretty irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, he sucks. I mean, the year before, he was, like, running back 10. But, That's what know. I'm saying. But, like, are the New York Jets the Patriots? Are they no. what the Chargers were with Rivers? They could be the Bears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so That's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, there you go. That's my point. I don't have to elaborate on that. Yeah, they suck. Pretty pretty plain and simple. But let's, let's end this, and let's go ahead and move it on. And next, we'll talk about the Miami Dolphins. All right, welcome back to Real Talk Fantasy. Now we're going to be talking about the Miami Dolphins. And kind of contrary to the Jets, the Dolphins kind of look like they're on the come up here. They got head coach Brian Flores, and I really like this guy. I feel like he he really brings the team together, especially last year whenever they were trying to lose and end up winning a couple games there at the end. Colby, what do you think about this team overall? I like the direction they're heading. I think the Dolphins in the next few years could contest with the Bills to be, you know, the top team in the division, assuming the Patriots fall off. I, I don't know about that. But, uh, yeah, from a team-building perspective, I think they're doing a good job. If Tua pans out, then they're in good hands. But uh, fantasy-wise, kind of interesting this year. A couple of guys I like, a couple of guys not so much. I'm interested to see what you guys think. Speaking of fantasy-wise, the offensive coordinator this year is Chan Gailey. He actually came out of retirement, 68 years young. But kind of interesting, he spent five years as Ryan Fitzpatrick offensive coordinator or head coach, so they definitely have some chemistry there. Colin, go ahead and take us through what Chan Gailey's system looks like. So Gailey is pretty interesting. He's, like, only coached Fitzpatrick. And just, like, quick note, they uh, they had, like, they were trying to do a Patriots-style offense last year, and apparently no one understood what they were doing. So Ryan Fitzpatrick just essentially took over the offense. And he's like, I don't know if y'all know this, but he had like the top Wonderlick score of any QB ever, or like a top three score. So he's a really smart guy is my point. He was essentially running their offense last year. So it makes sense. They brought in a guy that would like simplify things and kind of go hand in hand with Fitzpatrick. Gailey actually invented the read option, which is really interesting. Really? And if you throw that in with uh, Tua, that could be a lot of fun. So I'm Seriously? next year maybe to a like top five quarterback, like Patty Ooh. Mahomes type come up. Maybe not quite Patty, but like it's gonna be really fun. That's quite the bold prediction. But uh, this offense was pretty shitty last year until Fitzpatrick took over late. Uh, he, Fitzpatrick actually led the team in rushing with 243. It's definitely saying something. And speaking of running backs and how Chan Gilly uses them. 
since 2010, the highest average for one guy for carries per game was 13.9. So he definitely likes to split running back carries. He's got two average-ass ones there with Jordan Howard and Matt Breda. Let's go ahead and talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick first. So so Fitzpatrick is probably projected to start this year. I mean, two is coming off that injury and all the COVID stuff. I'm assuming they want to hold him back. Yeah, but, it makes sense. But, I mean, he's 37 years – I want to say years young. He's, he's ageless. And last year, whenever they were trying to lose, he basically just said, fuck it, man. I'm going out there and try to win some games. Colin, just take me through what kind of Fitz brings to this game. You know, Fitz magic. I mean, everyone knows he's a little inconsistent. But, I mean, he's a very competent passer, to be honest. Like, I think most people had him. I know PFF released something about this. They had him, like, the, around 20-ish, which is, like, you can have a competent offense around – about league average quarterback and it's kind of going to be up and down but he was great down the stretch and maybe it's just because he was running things you know and and Fitzpatrick not being held back by coaching is just like maybe we saw some kind of evolution out of him because he was dominating the last back end of the year do you know what he was as a quarterback you know what his ranking was as a starter yeah, from weeks 11 through 17, he was quarterback number four. I think he did start some games before that, but down that stretch, he was pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, he's capable of stretches like that, but yeah, I think he's kind of a very underrated quarterback, and he has been for a long time. And does that mean I want to draft him? You know, I'd take a shot at him late, you know, if you want to go with a late quarterback. Mainly, I think it's more interesting for the receivers, though. Right. And there is some interesting receivers here. But speaking of Tua, I mean, he was the fifth overall pick, like we said. And at one point, it was tank for Tua, you know. I mean, Joe Burrow came on late and ended up taking that number one overall spot. Obviously, Tua had his injury. But, I mean, he, at one point, he was touted as, like, the next guy. Uh, but something that's kind of kind of a red flag for me is last year, he only ran for 17 yards. And so you talk about kind of the read option thing. But he played nine games and, hell, that's that's barely anything. At Bama? Yeah, last year. I mean, uh, I think the year before he might have had, like, 200, but he, last he, year's... He was banged up, too, and that's going to be yeah. a concern for him moving forward. And that that's why, I mean, what's the over-under on the games that Fitzmagic starts? Because I think I, it's going to be all of them. Yeah, I think... I don't know why you would risk it. You know, you're a rebuilding team. Yeah, give me the and... over on whatever it is on... Fitzpatrick and the under on whatever it is for Tua because yeah and, and Tua is a Tua is a young guy he can learn the system get healthy there, there's really no reason to play Tua yeah especially this year good. no preseason yeah. no it, it's gonna be a weird year run Fitzpatrick out there get another decent draft pick for next year moving forward Fitzpatrick week ten to sixteen averaged twenty one points a game like he was going off mm-hmm. and I very similar kind of argument to Ryan Tannehill. To be I'm honest. probably not drafting him at the end of the draft just because I mean I'm taking a look at his first six weeks right here and he's got Patriots, Jaguars, 49ers, Bills, Seahawks, Broncos. That's so pretty I, brutal. Yeah, I, I'm probably not touching him even at the back of the draft as some sort okay. of QB two. But I do think he's more fun than, like, a, a Sam Darnold, probably. Oh, oh absolutely. Sure. Yeah, I would take him in front of Darnold. But, I mean, that's a – I wouldn't take Darnold. Oh, yeah. They still got sure. Josh Rosen or Rosson on the, on the roster. So, <laughs> maybe if Fitz gets hurt and they're still not ready for Tua, maybe he gets a, gets a start. That would be really poor to see from not only a fantasy perspective but also NFL perspective. But before we talk about the running backs, I'm more interested in the wide receivers and the one being Devontae Parker. And last year, kind of when Fitz was going on his stretch there at the end, Devontae Parker was a wide receiver one. He's actually wide receiver 11 on the year. 
And during weeks four through 17, he was wide receiver number three. Yeah. And I mean, in 10 through 16, the sample I gave for Fitzpatrick, because I, I just like going down the stretch. I think yeah, it yeah, gives yeah. you like a, a real good indication for the season coming up, you know, besides factoring in uh, strength of schedule. He was actually wide receiver two overall, 19 points a game. So I'm, I don't know. It's tricky. Like, on one hand, it's like, how good is Devontae Parker? I Based mean, on how good is he? Like is he I'm is low he on him, but is he good at football? You don't like him, Colin. It's a fifth year breakout. Yeah, I don't like I don't like a fifth year breakout, but I also hate Adam Gates, you know? Like, yeah. You, you gotta How many careers has he ruined? <laughs> so many. So many. So maybe Devontae Parker is actually pretty good at football and it's all been that. I or don't it's know, just the thing where the system is, is going to encourage him to get the ball a lot under Chain Gailey. And am I like I don't like the talent of Ezekiel Elliott. I'd still draft him. He's good at fantasy football because of the system that he operates in. So, and again, we're slandering Zeke. We kind of don't like him. But that it, I don't think it matters if he's good at football. I've got him as my wide receiver twenty-one. I think he'll be a wide receiver one as or a wide receiver two as long as he plays mm-hmm. with Fitzpatrick. Uh, and I honestly season. don't think I don't think the running game is going to get all that much better because the offensive line is atrociously bad at run right. blocking. I don't know. They're if just going to have to get them. the ball out quick, and I, I think he's that guy. They're just going well, yeah, actually... to have to throw the ball to stay in games. They're still not – you know, they're probably not going to win more than five, six games, even with some of the improvements. You talk about getting the ball out quick, but, I mean, Preston Williams, who we'll talk about here in a minute, him and Devontae Parker, both of those guys were top ten in target distance. I mean, so Fitzpatrick kind of just heaved it up. Dude, time, he, you know? he just guns the ball. It's almost one yeah. of those Jameis situations where you just know that he's going to give you fantasy viable players around him because yeah. they're going to be down and he's willing to chunk it. And sometimes exactly. it's a pick six and your team gets right back on offense. So it's kind of a, I, a yeah. win. You know, Devontae Parker, he's pretty exciting. Like I was kind of hating on him for a while, but because I felt like Preston Williams would take away so much. But mm. I've thought about it for quite some time, and I think there's enough room for them. And Devontae Parker was a lot more efficient than Preston Williams, too. So they should probably throw it to Parker more. I get that they're going to cancel each other out a bit. So I don't think Parker's going to be, you know, wide receiver two. But our wide receiver two overall, that's what I'm trying to say. Right. But I, I still think he'll be a top 24 receiver. I have him at wide receiver 23, and he's the top dog. So. I mean, he has that potential. And here's the other thing is Preston Williams suffered an ACL injury in week eight. So that's November. So he hasn't had that much time to recover. And, I mean, obviously with no preseason games, I don't know if they're going to be willing to throw him out there week one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you got you got the top receiver. And even then, top receiver. Like, we're talking about the difference between maybe 30% target share to like 25% because he's at least going to get like 25%, similar mm-hmm. to Julio and Ridley. You got the top receiver on a on a quarterback that's capable of supporting fantasy viable receivers. So he's not he doesn't seem super risky to me, is what I'm getting at. I agree. I agree. I'm hoping for more updates on Preston Williams' injury because I don't know too much about it. But definitely something to monitor. And hell, right now Devontae Parker is going as wide receiver twenty nine, six dot ten. I mean, that's mm. that could be gimme, an incredible gimme, gimme. value. Yeah. 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 That's a good value. So here's, here's, here's some guys he's kind of going around. Um, AJ Green's actually at 27, which, speaking of good value, there you go right there. (laughs) I, (laughs) I think we know who, I think we know who AJ Green is. I have AJ Green at 22, Parker at 23. So like, 
if I could get either of them in the sixth round, I would be very, very happy. <sighs> yeah. I won't disagree get, with you. I just worry yeah. about having a guy like AJ Green. I don't know, so, Joe I mean, Burrow, he's man. He's talented. He, he's super talented. If he's on I the field, I, he's great. Yeah, so. and I don't mind that because, like, if a guy gets injured and gives me, like, nine weeks, but there are nine good weeks, that means, you know, I'll figure something out for the other games, whether that's waivers or someone on my bench. But if they're out there giving me nine good weeks of football, eight good weeks of football, seven weeks of good, good, uh, good football, wide receiver one football, which you can, you've kind of come to expect from A.J. Green, that's going to win you a lot of games. Sure. If it's it in is. your flex, which is what I'd assume your six-round receiver is a flex player, right? Yeah, now you're taking him ahead of guys like Devontae Parker, DJ Chark, Michael Gallup, Terry McLaurin. Actually, I'm not. I have McLaurin and Chark. I got Chark at 18. I got McLaurin at 20. Uh, I do have him ahead of Gallup. Gallup, yeah. yeah. Okay. I have him ahead of Gallup. But here's another perspective kind of think about. So you got a guy, Devontae Parker, probably going to lead the team in targets or lead yeah. his team in targets. Yeah. And then you got a guy in Jarvis Landry who is going as wide receiver 32, who's maybe the second second option on his team. What? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Last year he had a really good year. But who would you want out of those two? I think Landry is a slot receiver, and I know the Browns are going to play a lot of 12 personnel next, next year. Kind of similar to the Godwin situation that's changing a bit with uh, Brady coming in wanting to do 12 personnel. So anytime you get a guy that's great in the slot and you take him out of the slot, I think that's a bad thing. And and out of 12 personnel, you're going to be throwing it deeper a lot more, which would benefit Odell mm-hmm. and Evans, I guess. But I don't see Tom doing that. My point is his role's changing, and I don't like that. I agree. The other guy we'll mention is Albert Wilson. Probably going to be the odd guy out. Not really fantasy uh, yeah. relevant. I wish they'd use him, but they don't. Yeah, he had spurts there where, I mean, he yeah. came up on the waiver. He's waiver good for wire, 30 but... points, like, twice a year. <laughs> yeah. um, with Albert Wilson, I will say, like, when you're evaluating slot receivers, there's slot receivers like Jameson Crowder, which will play every snap that you're in a three-wide receiver set. And by that, I mean, like, um, Jets ran 11 personnel 70% of the time. Crowder got exactly 70% of snaps. But with guys like Albert Wilson, they're called, like, that's when you divvy it up between, like, big slot and small slot. So Albert Wilson split his slot time with Gusecki, splitting out there. So anytime you're not in a full-time slot role, you're pretty much useless. Like, you're never going to have enough volume to be fantasy relevant. So just a word of the wise with guys like Albert Wilson. All right. Well, let's go ahead and keep talking about Gusecki. I mean, you mentioned him there Honestly, earlier, I was kind of worried about his usage. You know, Chan Gailey doesn't necessarily use his tight ends. But then the other argument is, is that Chan Gailey uses his tight ends that are in the slot. And like yeah. you said, yeah, Mike Gusecki runs out of the slot. Mm-hmm. Last year, he was seventh in targets for all tight ends. He was tight end number 12 on the year. Weeks 8 through 17, he was tight end number 8. So definitely has that potential to be on your tight end radar. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's actually putting up super similar numbers to Waller down the stretch, 11 points a game, which is pretty good. With Gusecki, he's so fast. Like, I did not know Gusecki ran, like, a 4-5. And I love when my tight ends are just, like, blowing past people, getting up yards after reception. I know he didn't do that a ton last year, but the speed's there. And I like fast tight ends, and he's young, so he should be, you know, trending towards that third-year breakout, and it takes longer for tight ends to break out. So, yeah. I like Gusecki. I think there's a lot of potential. If he can go out there and take the number two role ahead of Preston Williams, then he'll be like a, a top tight end next year. 
And that's very possible, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like, definitely. So, I mean, the downside is he doesn't beat out Preston Williams and he's not relevant again. But I'm just saying, in the world that he beats out Preston Williams, he'll probably put up similar numbers to Waller. You know, you, you look at his, like, speed and everything, his speed score, his burst score, agility score, catch radius, all that advanced stuff. And his numbers are, like, pretty dang near close to George Kittle. And they're yeah. all in, like, the 96th, the 100th yeah, percentile of all those. Like, he's a prospect in every sense of the word. And he's, you know, he wasn't useless last year. He was starting to work towards it. So you can't just write him off, you know. He's got some talent. And the, there's the opening for increased usage with, like, you know, you want your tight end to be one of the top two options on his team to be, like, a top five tight end. That's pretty much a prerequisite for that. Mm-hmm. My point is, talent usage possibility and quarterback is capable of producing fantasy players again it's speculative because he hasn't done it before but his adp suggests that he hasn't done it before so if you want to double down on tight end and wait late or i guess if you really believe in him you could draft him but like i i wouldn't mind having gaseki on my bench just in case he busts down there's always a guy that needs a tight end so you could get a lot of value if he does break out so lots of upside with gaseki yeah, and Gary, where is he currently being drafted? Right now he's tied in 15 in the 13th round, 13.07. So he's yeah, free. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, exactly. He He's a free pick right before you pick up your kicker in defense if you are maybe not as confident yeah. in your tight end or if you're very confident in your tight end, snag him and hold him yeah, for a few I mean, weeks, wait of, to think... send him to somebody else if he's playing mm-hmm. well. And something I always try to take out of a fantasy season is, like, try and remember my lessons. Because I always feel like I'm always learning lessons each season. And one of the lessons I got was just, like, what what experiences do you feel during a season? Like, what I always feel is, like, man, I'm so fucking tired of this guy not having any volume and being really inconsistent. <laughs> so now I'm, like, I really want consistent players. And then, two is, like, holy fuck, Evan Ingram's hurt. And... I haven't had a tight end in seven weeks. And no offense, <laughs> out here putting up two points a game. So, like, I'm going to draft two tight ends this year just because I hate that feeling. And when you're making trades, how many times do you try and t- trade with someone? Let's say they have Darren Waller. Let's say they have, I don't know, Hooper last year. How hard is it to get one of those tight ends? It's nearly impossible because they're like, nah, I need my tight end. I don't care if you're offering me two wide receiver twos or an RB2, you know? Yeah. They're, almost, they're nearly impossible to get. And you you got to get one through the draft or snag one early off waivers. Like, yeah, or exactly. kind of like I got lucky with the Higby situation last year. Uh-huh. That's a total anomaly. Like, yeah, you, like you never find a tight end, end like week yeah. 10 off waivers who's just all of a sudden a consistent yeah. tight end. Right. Because like, that's, that's not going to happen. I took My a shot on like, Andrews and Waller, but that was before like the season even started. I picked them up and I was like, man, one of these guys is going to do good. Ended up choosing Waller. <laughs> and yeah, and, I, I wish I had better. How, but. How t- how many times do you get someone in the thirteenth, fourteenth round, and then you have to drop you drop them after a week or two, right? All the time. So why not take a Every chance year. on having a guy with immense trade value late in the rounds? Yeah, and actually, if you want to compare him to those like kind of late like seven through twelve tight ends, let's let's go through them real quick and talk about yeah, yeah. So Gusecki has the potential to be the second on his team in targets. Let's talk about Gronkowski. He's currently going as tight end six. He's got Evans, Godwin, Kayshawn Vaughn yeah. out of the backfield, potentially. And if you look through the history of the, tight, the top five tight ends, which is what you're shooting for, because, like, you know, hardly anyone past the top five is use, useful. They, they're always, like, 95% of the time are the top two targets on their team. 
So that's just like a really easy way to evaluate it. And if you got a guy that you're certain he's not going to be a top two target on his team, why would you draft him? Mm-hmm. Because- it makes no sense. Like, why would you want Gronkowski? I mean, it doesn't make sense either. And then, like, Evan Ingram. I mean, we talked about his wide receivers. You got Saquon Barkley coming out of the backfield. You know, Ingram is one of the riskiest picks in the league, not just because of injuries. The receivers are better on that team than people realize. Like, Mm -hmm. Slayton's pretty good. Golden Tate's pretty good. Sterling Shepard's pretty good. It's not like it was in the beginning of the year when everyone was suspended and hurt and Ingram was putting up great numbers. Like, that's not the situation he's walking back into. And as soon as Tate came in, Ingram was not quite the guy he was in the beginning of the year. And all those guys are still there. So, like, Ingram is not walking into a surefire situation. Hell, his backup tight end is pretty good, too. I don't know his name. but Caden when- Smith. Caden yeah. Smith. Whenever, yeah. whenever Ingram was down, he was putting up, like, top five tight end numbers. And I love Ingram's speed, but I'm saying, like, it, it's just, like, his situation is not ideal. So, he's not a surefire guy. That's yeah. where I'm going with that. And, like, other guys that are going ahead of Gusecki, Tyler Higby, who uh, he came on late. That might be a sleeper. But then you got Hunter Henry, Jared Cook. I mean, those are yeah. two guys that have, you know, really good receiving options on their team other than them. So Yeah, like, I'm look at the Chargers. They, they lost their quarterback. And Mike Williams was a 1,000-yard receiver last year. Keenan Allen is likely going to be a 1,000-yard receiver. Eckler's taken seven targets a game. Like, where's the room for Hunter Henry and a worse offense? So I'm not seeing it. With, with all this said, does how willing are you to go get one of the top five guys that Kelsey, Kittle, Ertz, Waller, Andrews? Okay, because so after that, it's it's kind yeah. of a shit show. I would take I, – I'm in fact, in every single mock draft, Higby comes to me in the fifth round, like, and I'm drafting at the end of the fifth round. So that fifth, sixth turn. So always, 100% of the time, Waller or Higby falls. So I would take one of those two guys every time. You're going against the grain because Higby's and his ADP is currently in the eighth round. True. But, like, I just am unwilling to risk not right. having a guy I believe in. So Higby is where I draw the line. And you end up with Hunter Henry. You don't want that to happen. You got to go yeah. get your guy. Yeah. So, like, I, I draw the line with Higby. Of the top six guys. Okay. After that, you know, you got Ingram and Henry, who I think are too expensive. Then you got Hayden Hurst, Noah Fant, John S. Smith, and Gusecki, and TJ Hawkinson, and Goddard. And so if you miss out on the top guys, six, or, are you going to wait yes. for Gusecki or uh, yeah, yeah. Who, who was the other one? I know you like one of the other uh, guys. Okay. Johnny is, Smith? Yeah, this is what I would call this tier. I would call this tier guys that are capable of being the second option on their team. So Noah Fant is capable of being the second mm-hmm. option on his team. John Smith is, again, capable of being the second option on his team. Gusecki is capable of being the second option on his team. Hawkinson, a bit of a long shot, but Matt Stafford's pretty good. So I thought, hey, why not? Goddard, again, capable of being the second option on the team, especially with how much he was last year. Yeah. yeah. So second Jared Turner is not. Rob Gronkowski is not. Austin Hoover is not. Even Hayden Hurst is probably not, so I, I'm kind of Hayden Hurst a little bit, although they do throw it a ton. But like, kind of a Matt Stafford situation there with Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, where I'm kind of like reaching a bit, but I'd, I'd be way more comfy taking the second option on the team. So, Finn, yeah. I, I'll, I'm going to make this prediction, and maybe we'll put it on the Instagram just because you know you got to hold these guys accountable. Noah Fant, John Smith, or Gasecki, or Goddard, one of those four players will be a top five tight end. 
Um, I not as much bold. Goddard, in my opinion, but I like Goddard could be better than Ertz. Yeah, I mean it's possible Ertz is getting a little bit old, but like, dude, Fant could be a beast next year. He's going into a second. Oh yeah, year. That's he was relevant last year. If I miss out on some of those tight ends, I'm probably going Fant, and then I'm getting Gasecki, just doubling it up. John O. Smith is pretty sexy too. Like he played really yeah. well last year. He, yeah. He's coming into a full time role. And I project the Titans are going to throw it more than they did last year at the end of the year because that was an anomaly. That was one of the lowest in the history of the league. So things always balance out a bit. So if they yeah. throw it like a normal team, Jonah Smith, like who would – can Jonah Smith beat out – Corey Davis. Yeah, that's and, what I'm saying. Corey uh, Davis is really bad. Eric Henry, like Stonehands. Yeah, exactly. It's not – yeah. So we he could, he could be the second option. Back. Yeah, absolutely. So unless they throw it to – AJ Brown, fifty percent of the time, which is not possible. Like, there's enough room for a second guy, and you know why not John o. Smith? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so. yeah. and we're getting kind of carried away. <laughs> do, you like, do you like Dolphins D? Were you saying that yesterday? I was. Uh, we'll get to that, but let's. We haven't really talked about the running backs. Not that there's really much to talk about, but they did get two new running backs this off season. They signed Jordan Howard. He was decent last year from weeks one through nine. He was running back sixteen. He played for the Eagles. And then they traded during the draft for Matt Breda. They actually traded him for a fifth-round pick. And he was part of the 49ers last year, kind of part of that system that basically threw any running back back there, and they were productive because he actually averaged 5.1 yards per carry. I just think it's going to be a dead split with these two guys. I mean, Chan Gailey yeah. wants a committee. I mean, a would you guys – with a terrible offensive line. Like, that's as bad as it gets. With terrible the backs. Yeah, well, honestly, I mean – I think Howard's low-key better than uh, David Montgomery was last year. No, yeah, I'm not talking, probably, I'm talking about talent. And uh, Breda, like, he's he's a skinny little bitch. But, like, <laughs> he can get – like, if the offensive line is not going to be able to hold their blocks, you kind of need someone that's going to get in there quick, you know, and just kind of like a slasher. But, again, I mean, I'm just talking, like, uh, positively here. I, I mean, you shouldn't draft either one of those guys. Another thing is both these guys don't get any targets. If you want to up Gusecki in the slot or Devontae Parker, then... Yes, exactly. I mean, you got Parker, who we can project as the number one. And then you got Gusecki versus Williams. And that is going to be the battle for fantasy relevancy. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be that simple. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about that defense that Colby was talking about. So, yeah, they made some big moves this offseason. I mean, the, the Dolphins are trying to shape things to the right direction. So they signed Byron Jones at the time. He was the number one paid cornerback. I think that got beat out. They got Kyle Van Noy. He's a former Patriot. Shaq Lawson from the Bills. I mean, he was pretty good in 2018. Last year, he probably had, I think he had a down year, only six sacks. And then they got Emmanuel Ogba, who's actually an OK State. That's for Andy. Go Pokes. They're definitely changing things around here. And I kind of made this, this comparison yesterday. I see it as the Bills from a couple years ago. You know, b- before the Bills drafted Josh Allen, they were just terrible, like, Worse than the division. I mean, even the Dolphins with Tannehill were better than him. And then to Rob. Eh, I mean, but yeah, but, you, but you know, no, 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 no. This is like 2017. Okay, all right. They were they were not making playoffs. And then 2018 comes around, and all of a sudden, this team's like comes out of nowhere and is good. You okay. know, and, yeah, and I could yeah. I could kind of see this path for the Dolphins. You know, maybe relying on yeah, their they, their defense. I really respect Flores. You know, yeah. Like, I don't think coaches that lose. You know, if you lose 15, 14, 16 games, you're a bad coach. If Brian Flores can win five games with by far the least talented team in football last year. Selling off the talent they did have. Yeah. 
So what's your excuse for a guy like Zach Taylor and Hugh Jackson for what they did? They're bad. They're bad coaches. And then they get slack. Why? I don't get that. Doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, I really respect Flores for what he did. And I just want to touch on defenses. If you're a streamer like me, you should only look at the first two weeks. Just look at what teams have the first two weeks who they're playing against and then draft the schedules you like. It's as simple as like Pittsburgh out of the top tier one, you got 49ers, Steelers, Ravens. You should draft Pittsburgh because they play uh, the Giants in Denver week one. Like you're set the first two weeks. And then you got the Bills and they've got New York Jets and Miami. Like why would you not draft the Buffalo Bills? They're going to be great the first two weeks of the year. And then you just figure it out after that. And They're going to be got, great yeah. the first five weeks of the year probably. I love the Bills yeah. defense, but we'll, so, like, we'll touch on that in the next and, segment. I mean, that's – what a value. Two weeks of great defense. Like I use so much waiver money trying to stream defenses, and you're telling me I can draft one in like the 13th, 14th round and just be set for the first two weeks? That makes such a big difference. But and then last one I was going to mention was Chicago, Detroit, and the Giants. That's pretty tasty, too. First two weeks, pretty good defense. Not super expensive. So I think that's the way everyone should uh, probably be looking at their defenses. Yeah, it's definitely good advice. Just one quick note on the O-line. They were the worst in 2019. Dude, um, it was so bad. I don't know if you saw that white guy running behind the O-line. Uh, Patrick, Patrick Laird. Dude, <laughs> he was averaging two yards a carry. Like, that is looks a like bomb. Le'Veon back there. It's yeah. like you try and play an all-Madden in like Madden 20 and you're not actually good at the game like you can't run the ball at all that's what it was like trying to watch try to run it. it was just incredibly like I don't understand how they're mm. professionals it made no sense well they but. got rid of uh, Laramie Tunsil and it, yeah they were just rebuilding and Brian Flores is a good coach he'll turn them around I don't He's think it's going to be this year coach. Gary yeah and, and I don't I know I Brian, see them okay. being behind in a lot of games so I'm probably yeah. not touching the Dolphins D they've got some talent you're right and maybe next year but Probably not this year for me. Yeah, and, like, why even, you know, why even get, like, a sleeper defense when you can just do it based on the first two weeks and stream? Yeah, I'm just letting them know that, you know, maybe things – something, yeah, to, for sure, for sure. something yeah. to think about. But, yeah, Titan, so that kind uh, of – Tennessee Titans, too, they got a great – they're probably the, my best late defense that you can get, like, great options. Denver and Jacksonville the first two weeks. I mean, that's super tasty as well. Okay, sorry. That's it on defenses. Yeah, we we actually got <laughs> off topic a lot there talking about uh, tight ends and defenses. But that was your Miami Dolphins and how we think they're going to fare this year. Next, we'll talk about the Buffalo Bills. No one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills and the Swamp. All right, welcome back to Real Talk Fantasy. We're going to be talking about the Buffalo Bills, and we're just going to get right into it. This year, they're projected nine wins. They have the fifth toughest strength of schedule. Ten and six last year, made playoffs. They actually lost to the Texans. This kind of weird game where Josh Allen pretty much fell apart. Head coach by Sean McDermott, another pretty good coach. Offense coordinator Brian Dobble. This is year three for him. And last year, they really used Josh Allen to his, like, I don't know, to his talents because, I mean, obviously he throws the deep ball where shit. So <laughs> Dobble just kind of said, hey, we're going to do what he can do and that's dump it off. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really interesting because, like, I looked at the uh, deep ball statistics before last year and Josh Allen was attempting the deep ball at one of the highest rates, even though it was really inefficient. And I knew John Brown was a deep ball specialist. So I was like, oh, you know, if Allen's going to be attempting the deep ball, I'll go with the volume and I'll get John Brown. And the way it worked out, it worked out well, but completely against the logic I used to draft it because Allen stopped throwing the deep ball last season, which I just thought was interesting. 
I mean, he's just his, really inaccurate at it. Yeah, his completion percentage. Completion percentage of the year was 58.8. And I think in his whole football career, this includes high school, he's never eclipsed 60% completion percentage, which is yeah. absolutely absurd. I mean, yeah. the, the, thing that, the thing that like gives him his name and his value is his rushing ability. And he's pretty, he's really good at that. Last year, I had 510 rushing yards, nine rushing TDs on 109 attempts for that matter. And to put it in, into perspective, so Saquon was drafted in the same draft as Josh Allen, Saquon has 17 rushing TDs, and Josh Allen also has 17 rushing TDs. I mean, that's just incredible from a quarterback. As a fantasy owner, that makes me so horny. Because <laughs> uh, just, oh, man. I, I know we talked about it a little bit yesterday, Garrett, but he is, to me, going to be a top six quarterback again. Yeah. I love I love the floor there. You know what you're getting Dude. with the rushing. They yeah. have figured out how to win with him. I think overall the Bills probably have a good chance to win the division. They'd, they'd be my pick. So, I don't know. I, I like what you're getting with him because you know you're getting that floor. And when he does get in the end zone with his legs, that's invaluable. Yeah, he, he gives you a, a floor that never busts. So, Josh Allen's never going to cost you games. He gets you 15 no matter what. Yeah, unless he gets a concussion. And then every now and then he'll go off and have like three touchdowns and win you again. So, it's, it's nice having Josh Allen as your quarterback. Yeah, so right now he's going as quarterback 11 and 8.11. I hate that he's gotten so expensive. Last year, I mean, you could get him on the waivers and just be set at quarterback the whole season for free. And now you got to pay an eighth-round pick? Ugh. You hate yeah, this. and I think with how people are kind of educated on him, he might be going earlier in some. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. you're taking Drew Brees and Matt Ryan and, and guys like that ahead of him. I mean, maybe, yeah, but I give me – uh, Josh Allen every time over those guys. Aaron Rodgers, throw him in there. Josh Allen versus Kyler Murray. I have Kyler, Kyler Murray one spot ahead of him, but I'm very high on both. They're five and six for me in my and, I mean, their ADPs, for how close you have them together, their ADPs are very far apart. Yeah, definitely. So just I, I'm taking Allen for the value there, but I don't think that in a competitive league you're going to have guys – Take your Aaron Rodgers, your Drew Breeses ahead of a guy like Josh Allen. So Dude, I'm assuming Aaron he won't is. make it to the back of the eighth round. I, I'd be really surprised. Yeah, it's sad. Hate to see it. No, nope, he's rising. But, for, I mean, for good reason. A lot of people love that uh, rushing floor for the QB, so it's understandable. Yeah, they're starting, they're starting to figure it out. I mean, to put in perspective how important rushing is, Jeff Driscoll, who you all probably think is terrible. I know it's terrible. He's a gator, man. Chomp, chomp. Yeah, runs like a 4-4, by the way, 4-5. Pretty wild. But he only played three games last year. He was averaging 20 points a game, and he can't throw worth shit. So that shows you, like, if you can run. Especially if you're your bad at throwing, like Josh Allen. He probably has, yeah. like, a whole bunch of oh-shit moments where he's fast and big and athletic. He just takes off. You love to see it as long as, yeah. like you said, he's not getting concussed. Like, dude, give mm-hmm. me. A lot of people have been fooled, though, with how good Josh Allen is to think that he's going to support really fantasy viable receivers. And he kind of did it last year. I guess Beasley and Brown playing every snap and having such a high usage was able to make that happen. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, that's not the situation this year. You got Diggs, who's going to come in and probably going to eat, like, I don't know, 23, 25% of the share. Because, you know, Diggs doesn't need a ton. And usually guys like Diggs make everyone around them better. But still, like, you got to wonder, what's that going to do to the other guys in the offense? 
we talked about it in a couple in all the episodes basically is that when a new guy comes in with a new quarterback, I mean, there's definitely going to be some like inconsistency growing at the beginning. Pain. Yeah. yeah, growing yeah. pain. And especially with the guy that's already like, you know, pretty dang good and John Brown. Yeah. I mean, really last good. year, last year, John Brown was wide receiver number 20. He went over a thousand yards. He actually had a 25.7% target share. And he's I mean, great in man to man coverage as well. Yeah. And right now he's being drafted as wide receiver 55. I mean, that, that value compared to <laughs> Stefan Diggs at 26. Is just oh, so yeah, yeah. yeah give me John Brown in, in terms of value. Yeah, John Brown every yeah. time because at least he might be a viable flex option. Whereas, okay, if Diggs reaches his potential, I'm thinking yeah. wide receiver too. I, I could kind of see it breaking down kind of like how the Lions have it with uh, Marvin Jones and Galladay, where both the receivers are just like both their outside receivers are just like have pretty massive shares of their offense and they just don't use their tight end and maybe not their running back that much. But that works because it's Matt Stafford. We're talking about Josh Allen here. Mm-hmm. Can Josh Allen sub- – well, do you see Diggs having 1,000 yards receiving this year? Which uh, is the I'm cutoff say, for wide receiver two. I'm going to say yes. Yeah? Yeah, you, I, I think I think he probably gets there. So does that mean John Brown won't get there? Yes, I agree. I, I don't think John Brown will get there. So, I mean, if you don't think John Brown's going to get there, like even at wide receiver 55, if they don't get hit 1,000 yards, then they're basically useless. Yeah, if maybe a flex option. I mean, just, just at the draft value, if you're picking him up in the 12th or 13th round versus taking a Stefan Diggs in the 6th or 7th, that's a pretty significant gap. So, for the value, I do like John Brown, but I don't think he'll hit 1,000 yards. I mean, it's, it's weird. possible, it... but yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know. It's interesting because Stefan Diggs has like made his money off of being kind of a deep threat. I mean, last year he was 12.1 yards per target. That was number three in the NFL. And now he's just going to a completely different scenario. And I, we know Josh Allen can air it out. I mean, on Madden, his uh, arm strength was 99. Mm-hmm. That's, another, that's another point. It's like Diggs is going to get open because Diggs is really fucking good. But Josh, Allen's really, Josh Allen is really bad. So... Uh, Diggs, Diggs will so make pissed. Josh Allen better. Diggs will make Josh Allen better. Fact. Uh, yeah, I mean, he has to be. Like, you got a guy that's going to get downfield and get open. Like, it's going to make having Diggs on any football team will make their quarterback better. Yeah, or you'll see so good him at, overthrow Diggs by twenty yards three times a game and think, even Jesus then, like, Christ, this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, it'll be frustrating, but like, I do think it makes the offense better as a whole. Yeah. Agreed. So Diggs coming in, I think, is a bigger plus for Josh Allen than it is. Here's what I'm trying to say. You can say Diggs is going to help Josh Allen with, while saying Diggs is also going to have a bad year from a fantasy perspective. He's going to be, like, really good in real life for the Bills, but not good for fantasy, if that makes sense. Yeah, that happens all the time. I, I can definitely yeah. see that. So plus for Josh Allen, don't bother risking it with Diggs just because, like, the deep ball is so shitty. But another thing being said, I mean – it goes back into the argument, like, Diggs just being on the field will make John Brown better. I agree. His volume might not go up, but, like, his efficiency has to improve. And I know... What if he I just turns that, Beasley into uh, Adam Thielen? That'd be so funny. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, imagine how open the middle of the field is going to be. You got John Brown, who you got to account for. You got Diggs, who you also have to account for. And then Beasley's pretty good in the slot. I mean... Josh Allen is spoiled for talent right now. 
But yeah, y'all are selling me on uh, John Brown a little bit. I think, I think it's possible Brown could even have a thousand yards receiving this year, like if he's just really, really efficient in that role. Yeah, I mean yeah. somebody's got to catch the ball, so it, yeah, it's going to be Diggs and him, and I mean what Dawson Knox and Singletary. That's mm-hmm. I mean Beasley, Be- yeah. Beasley might be the odd man out. I mean, they do run a bunch of 11 personnel, 70% last year, but Josh Allen's not going to be able to feed three options. Yeah, I think they're, and I think you'd rather him throw it down the field if you're the Bills coaching staff. So Beasley's uh, usage should probably go down a bit. Yeah. But let's go ahead and move on to the running backs. And they lost Frank Gore, and thank God he's old as shit. <laughs> but they still have Devin Singletary from last year, and last year he was running back 21. And actually, uh, actually, I was running back 21 from weeks 8 through 17. He had that hamstring injury, which Colin hates hamstring injuries. If you combine Frank Gore's total fantasy output along with Devin Singletary's last year, they would have given you running back number 10. I mean, it's a running back number one number. But, I mean, wh- what, do you, what do you want with uh, Devin Singletary this year, Colin? Oh, I really like Singletary. Although, I mean, kind of just – did he ah. – I'm just looking at the numbers right now. He only averaged 11 points, six a game down the stretch last year, but that's also with Frank Gore. I know they went out and got Zach Moss. I don't love that. But when you look at the guys going around him, let's see who's going around Singletary. Ingram, Mostert, Swift. Okay, I, I do think Singletary versus Mostert. How do y'all feel about that? Mostert signed the other day, by the way. He did. I go you Singletary. Know, it, I like Singletary there. Over Mostert? Yeah, I've I got him know, one spot ahead. They're right next to each other. I, I, Singletary's decent. With Frank Gore gone, I, I think the team will be good. I think they'll kind of play that run game, that ground control game, and lean on I the like defense. Singletary too. And, like, compared to the guys, all those old guys I hate, David Johnson, Gurley, Gordon, Throw Del, Fournette in there. <laughs> Fournette. Like, all those guys that I think are kind of on their way out. Singletary is a nice, fresh option. He looks really explosive on the field, at least. I like his talent. I like that they throw the ball to him. I like Singletary. I really do. I guess in the Mostert argument, I do think Mostert's a better value, though. Like, he's just really fun to watch. Super great blocking scheme on the 49ers. Um, uh, I guess Tevin it's worth looking at the uh, offensive line at uh, nope. the Bills. The Bills have the 11th best offensive line. I mean, you love to see that. They should be able to move the ball. Yeah. Speaking about Mostert here, it is breaking news, and we want to give you the latest news in the fantasy football world. So the contract that Raheem Mostert signed wasn't like anything more. It was just incentives, incentive base. So basically, he's being paid like $3 million this year, but he has a chance to make like $5.8 million if he like gets a certain number of touchdowns or anything. But if you look into the stats, and I kind of said in the past segment that if you throw anyone in that backfield, the 49ers backfield, they would perform. Yeah, But Tevin Coleman's yards per carry was like three. And Mostert was like 5.2. Dude, I mean, Mostert, if you watch him, he's just so explosive. The guy's got like 4-2 speed. I mean, even watch his highlights at Purdue, if you're curious. He is so fucking fast. Yeah, he's, he's definitely up there like, like 90th percentile in speed. If you compare that to the way the outside zone scheme works, to where you're just getting a little opening and letting him break it outside... Like, that's why guys like Matt Breda, who probably couldn't play on another team because they're so tiny, you get those kind of players in that offense, it's almost like a cheat code because you get them out wide in space consistently. It's so fun to watch. I just really like that scheme. So that's the only players that I'll break my rule of the pass-catching rule. 
to where they have to catch passes just because I think when you run the outside zone, it can be so efficient that it's worth taking that chance on. It was just the same argument for Derrick Henry, who's also in an, a uh, primarily outside zone scheme. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for those reasons, I think Mostert's, Mostert's a better value than Singletary just because, like, I see a Derrick Henry-esque with less volume. Whereas with Singletary, it's, it's a little too similar of a role with Zach Moss being there. But I like that he's still fresh and young. Do you know what's interesting, too, is Zach Moss was drafted in the third round, which Devin Singletary last year, he was the third-round guy. Yeah, um, yeah. That's pretty they, early for a running back, you know? Like, there's so many third-round running backs that end up playing a lot. Kareem yeah, yeah, yeah. But their stats and their stature are pretty much identical. So, Devin Singletary's not a big guy. He's 5'7". He's actually kind of beefy, but 5'7". And then Zach Moss is 5'9", 223. Mm-hmm. And they're 40 times. Devin Singletary, 466. Zach Moss, 465. It just it, They seem like the same guy. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you don't draft a guy in the third round, typically, if you don't have some vision of a role in them. And the annoying thing is, we know exactly what that role is because it was Frank Gore's role last season. So, so do you uh, expect was... him to get goal line work, Zach Moss? Um, yeah, but, like, you know, goal line work for the Bills with Josh Allen. Right, right. No, it's not like they're putting yeah. up 30 a game. But... but it's just kind of another cap on Singletary. So I think Singletary's upside is a bit capped. I do think he'll be a good, like, 11 to 13 point RB2 type guy, flex RB2 guy. Not that you would put a running back in the flex, but that's just how people describe it when they're not putting up RB2 numbers. But my point is, Singletary's upside is capped a bit. So don't pick him with the vision of he's about to take over and be an RB1 Mm because that isn't what the situation is telling me. It could go differently, but from what I'm hearing from everything, all the news surrounding it, I'm not hearing Devin Singletary is going to go out and dominate. And I I don't think a third-round draft pick suggests that either. So, Yeah, no, I totally agree. I I think Zach Moss really caps the potential for Singletary. I still Mm -hmm. think Singletary will finish as a a low-end RB2. I have him just about right there at 22 if if he slides a little in your league. It's always about the value. So, yeah, depends on where you can get him. Great value, not much risk. Not a massive amount of upside. That's how I would say. Just, just know what you're getting with him. Don't yeah, have exactly. too high Congrats. of expectations because you're yeah. going to sell low on him three weeks into yeah. the year. And don't go wide receiver, wide receiver, you know, tight end, whatever it is. And then be like, all right, Singletary, that's going to be my RB1. Cause... No, yeah, that's you're going to miss playoffs. <laughs> yeah, j- just because you're like, oh, I'm so sold on this shit. Like, I'm getting RB1 fifth round. Like, Workhorse, like, like, yeah, no yeah, way. That's it's really not a Chris idea. Carson situation from last year. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a perfect example to describe it as. Like, like if, if yeah, you with, came even in last Rashad year. Even Rashad Penny is kind of the, the Zach Moss there. So, yeah, it's not that situation. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah, it's not. And I'm saying they could fool themselves into thinking that. Because, yeah. like, the murmurs around Chris Carson was like, oh, he's going to be a three-down back. That's what everyone was saying, and then he was. People aren't saying that about Singletary. Yeah, definitely something to consider there. Like I said, going back to Mostert, I mean, more. I'm really excited about Mostert. But really? yeah, me too. Me too. And do you know what I love about this Mostert thing? All the holdout talk hit his ADP so hard, and then all of it vanished. And then people are still kind of like, they're not welcoming him back with open arms, as if the 49ers coaching staff is going to be like, "Oh, you kind of pissed me off. Like, I don't want you anymore." Like. They they still love Mostert. They're still going to play him a lot. They're still going to use him. So nothing has remotely changed from before and after the whole holdout talks or trade request talks. Yet his ADP doesn't reflect that. So I think that's just interesting. Yeah. And we'll get into that when we talk about the, the NFC West hopefully soon. 
but as far as tight ends go for the Buffalo Bills, Dawson Knox, Tyler Croft, I mean, these guys just know their names, but do definitely don't have them on your Hopeless. roster. And, like, if you want to put the uh, the kind of analysis we're using for tight ends that, like, you hope they're a top two option, those guys aren't even a top three option on their team. Top four option. They're, like, the fifth option. And that's what you call fantasy irrelevant. So, yep. yeah. Not even worth touching. Love the Bills' defense this year, though. Great yeah. early season schedule, and they got the defensive talent. So, all over that. And we talked about their O-line, 21st at the end of last year. Actually, the pocket time was only 2.3 seconds per play on average. That was the lowest in the NFL. And part of that is them getting the ball out quick. But something to consider. Hopefully, they can address those problems. Kicker is Steven Hoshka. I mean, maybe if you want to stream kickers and he pops up, yeah. might be a decent option. I would but, say the, the values on the team, we can – if you're writing down them down at home, Josh Allen, I would say, is a value. Singletary is a, a solid value. And Diggs is probably an avoid. And Brown is kind of an interesting late-round flyer. Yeah, and then the defense is I, – I honestly wouldn't be surprised here if through the first five weeks they're startable every week as a top-12 oh, yeah. defense. You're going you know, kind of Jets, feels... Rams, Titans, Dolphins, Raiders. Yeah. So I like I, that. You, you, I like the Bills. You want to win your first few games. Like, that is so essential for a fantasy season, getting those early wins. The hole is so hard it. to climb out of. So, yeah, no, you, and you definitely if want you're to tight in, Yeah. And if your defense is out there putting you, like, losing you games in the beginning of the season versus a defense. Like, can you imagine if you had, like, the Patriots defense in the beginning of last year or even the Bears defense the first few games? Like, that wins you games. So, it's well worth spending a pick on. And, Colin, you said Stefan Diggs was a, in a void? I would say I, I would avoid Stefan Diggs this year at his ADP. His ADP is wide receiver 26. Even, even where I've then, got him. I would, I would still not draft him. Okay. So, you're just saying there's guys later on that, like, you're I, more confident I, in. Yeah, yeah. I think the change... And the fact that he already has chemistry with Brown and Beasley mm-hmm. and his deep ball is so shitty, I think Diggs will make them a better team. But I do think Diggs is just like – it's not ideal for fantasy football to take that kind of risk when you can get uh, – give me a couple of the guys going right next to him. Uh, T.Y. Hilton's, maybe DJ Metcalf, uh, Terry McCormick, okay, yeah. Michael I mean, Gallup. Me- you can just – AJ Green. Stuff. Okay, yeah. like right there, like Metcalf is more exciting. Uh, T.Y. Hilton is, like the coach just said, the entire offense runs through him. You got Rivers, who's always supporting a thousand-yard receiver, a couple of them. You got like, Jarvis would... Landry five spots later in ADP. Jarvis Landry's going to outperform Stephon Diggs this year. Yeah, why would you risk it with Diggs with a guy with a bad deep ball and no chemistry when you can get a guy that you know he's going to be the main guy in his offense and he doesn't really have any threat to his role? Same reason you were low on Hopkins, just changing situations. The talent's there, but maybe not the best fit. Yeah, yeah. I just think that's too much risk for the guys he's going around. All right, fair enough. So that wraps it up for us on the Bills. Next, we'll be talking about the Patriots. So you think having a 37-year-old on to Cincinnati? It's nothing about the past, nothing about the future. It's right now we're preparing for Cincinnati. Okay, is the, is the, do you feel like the talent you have here is good? We're getting ready for Cincinnati. Welcome back to Real Talk Fantasy. This is the last team for this division. We're talking about the New England Patriots. And Tom Brady, the GOAT, is no longer there. They brought in Cam Newton. We talked about him a couple episodes ago. And I don't know, maybe they're still frontrunners for the division. Colby sure doesn't think so. But they're projected nine wins this year. They have the number one toughest strength of schedule. Pretty wild. 
And actually, they're in the news recently. So a bunch of their players may not be big-name players, but Hightower, Hightower is a good defensive player. They're kind of opting out to play this year. What do you think about that? Because, like, we got coronavirus, 99% survival rate. And then we got uh, – what's that disease? The brain disease? They get, yeah, CTE. Yeah. And that is a much bigger killer, I would say, than a virus that me and Colby have both survived, which is like, I mean, it's not fun, but is that, <laughs> yeah. is that really more scary than brain damage? I, know I don't think so. I know that Hightower has a two-week-old baby right now, so I, I know that they're not as much at risk, apparently, infants and young children, but I guess if you don't want to take the risk coming yeah. from your infant I, child, just, I feel like just there's, in there's case. New, there's new dads. You know, there may be a little. Yeah, I've seen that yeah. in the NBA too. Just because, yeah, I mean, you you feel bad. Well. Yeah. Some yeah. of these others guys, though, I think it comes down to who wants to play football and who doesn't. Yeah, I think right. so too. I think some of them are like, honestly, maybe maybe I'm not analyzing this correctly, and they're like, I could make zero dollars, and I need to make money, and you get a hundred thousand dollars stipend if you uh, opt out. One fifty, like, I think. Oh, really? So like, I had three fifty, three fifty. And think of how many people retired just because their bodies are so beat up and brain damaged. Yeah, like, yeah. Think about it this way. Like, if they were going to retire anyway and they can just say they're opting out, I mean, kind of a good gig. Yeah. Or maybe a guy that, like, doesn't want to be beat up, like, like maybe a practice squad guy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's more to it than, oh, I'm so scared of Corona that I'm not going to play, you know? I think Hightower and and Chung have played on a defense that have played an average of what probably eighteen games per season over the past few years. They go to the playoffs every year, so yeah, Yeah. maybe take a year off, just kind of say screw it. Tom's gone. Yeah, and they're still getting paid some money, like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So like, if I could get one hundred fifty thousand dollars to literally do nothing, doesn't sound that bad. Here's my conspiracy theory: is that Bill Belichick is paying him more money than that three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like he's saying, hey, you know, this year's not going to go so well. Let me get you some more money. Make sure you're good. And then maybe we'll even tank for that Trevor nah, Lawrence nah. spot. I think I think Bill is a guy that just wants to win. Like yeah, if he's, he's never going to tank. Never going to. I think Bill is probably going to win like 12 games next year. Like I wouldn't even be shocked. Banter a little bit about that. I, I like the Bills. I think that this might be the first time in a while we see a little dysfunction out of the team. They were terribly think, inefficient last year on offense, and I don't think switching things up in a very volatile offseason with the whole COVID situation we've talked about is going to go very well for them. So I could see some uh, regression from the Patriots. I'm not high on a lot of their guys that y'all might be interested in. It's just Bill, you know? I yeah, no, he's the go. Bill. He's the go. So we'll see. It'll be fun. Uh, I'm excited to see them without Tom, see how things go. Yeah, one thing I know about Belichick is that he, for a while he's always wanted that quarterback that has the ability to run. Because for for yeah. twenty years he hasn't had that. Yeah, you know, and think about how much that opens your playbook. Like you don't even have to think hard about how many teams are significantly better with a rushing quarterback. It just makes your offense ten times better, even if the they're Bills. not good at throwing. At least having the, the threat of it just opens it up. Yeah, I mean, you start with your Ravens. Lamar guys and stuff like that, but even Dak, if you have the threat to pull the ball on the three-yard line with that read option, that's a huge it's asset. Deadly. Yeah, it's deadly. So, I mean, I think their offense is going to be better overall next year, to be honest. Yeah, huh? definitely going to be interesting to watch. We talked about Cam Newton, but we can talk about him here again. So, he's 31 years old. In yeah. 2019, he missed a bunch of the year with his foot injury. Had some shoulder injuries in the past, too. But back to this 2018 season, 
I think his completion percentage was like a career high, which is it was the first time he had been over sixty yeah. percent. It, it was still yeah. pretty mediocre. I mean, Scott Turner came in and he runs that really tight West Coast offense, so he's having him dump off to McCaffrey and the other receivers. So he had him playing football a really different way. Yeah, he hasn't had passing yards that eclipse four thousand since his rookie year. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. His rushing yards has continued to go down. It's going to be interesting. He says he's definitely got more in the tank. I want to see it. I want to see Cam at the best ability. Yeah. He's I, I pissed think... off. Can I just oh, ask yeah, you something, much. though, if we Go can ahead. just consider this? Because this is kind of my train of thought and why I, I don't necessarily buy into the Patriots this season. When's the last time we saw a regressing, aging football player change teams in his career coming off of multiple injuries and just had a resurgence? I mean, you think of maybe um, like a Derrick Rose in the NBA or something like that, but I – I can't off the top of my head think of QBs where that's applicable, especially when he uses his athleticism for so much of what made him good. I just I think I, he's still got the athleticism, though. Probably. I mean, 31 would be in a quarterback's prime still, but I think he maybe has just left a bad taste in my mouth, so maybe I'm biased here. But I think I'm probably avoiding Cam. I know he's going late. I still don't know if I would uh, take a chance on him. He's my favorite late quarterback just because, you know, he's the only one you can get that late that can still run the ball. So that in itself is just enough for me to be like, okay, I like that. And he's also super pissed off. And like, yeah, you can say you haven't seen this happen very often, but how often has a former MVP been cut at age 31 when he has like had a foot injury and he's like healthy now? So it's kind of an unusual situation all around. And how often do they get signed by the best coach of all time? So you kind of got to like, yeah, date is useful, but it's a really unique position. So you got to look at it that way too. And he's being paid $1 million. He doesn't care what he's making. I mean, yeah, dude. And he's so pissed off. I was listening to him have an interview. And he's like, You didn't just get a dog. You got a pissed off dog. And I was like, I like that. He's so already. <laughs> That's my quarterback. I was like, I want a pissed off Cam Newton. Because Cam Newton, you remember him at Auburn? Like, the dude is arguably the most dominant college quarterback this uh, decade. Yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. He was dominant though. Then he came in, dominated the NFL. He's been hurt a bit, not been playing great, but he's still Cam Newton, yeah. and he's still big, fast, strong. Vegan. He throw it a bit. I'm really curious what the Pats can do with him. In talking about preseason, I would have liked to seen Jarrett Stedham just seen if he progressed because last preseason he had a really good campaign. I mean, th- I think that was the best rookie QB preseason under a under Bill Belichick. I mean, they had the Garoppolo's, the Brissettes, the Hoyers. They had a pretty yeah, good group. Yeah, then he came in and played one snap and threw a pick six. So think yeah. about that. And it was to Jamal Adams who has like six career interceptions. But I mean, I don't know. I'm interested to see like how this op- offense operates. And I think – I honestly think Jared Sedham could go in there and do a decent job. Well, but, I mean, that's pretty irrelevant, to be honest. Yeah. It is. That's... I'm just saying. I'm just saying the way the offense is and, like, the way Josh McDaniels works and the talent he's got around him and Bill Belichick, I think – What talent, either... dude? What talent is on this ros- offensive roster? I, the I, talent I, is I the guy's understand. coaching. The oh, talent yeah. is the guy's coaching. Absolutely. I don't understand why we're that's talking a... about a backup quarterback. On yeah. Football podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's irrelevant. I mean, we just talked about Tua. Do me, I mean, I was talking about edit that down out? the line, maybe down the line. I just thought Tua was interesting. That was like a blurb. You're going on a tangent. Well, well here's, here's it's not, I wouldn't say it's a tangent because for the longest time, Cam Newton was not on a team and Jared Stedham was slated to start. But he's not going to start. Jared Stedham's a 
I'm just saying. Year, fourth rounder that we don't know a lot about. Yeah, it's Cam Newton's job until he does no. get injured. I think nothing I wasn't saying anything about it. Job. I, I wasn't saying anything about it. I think the most interesting thing about Jarrett Stedham is he happened to go to Stephenville High School. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of cool. I mean, I mean I, I'm, the being, area. I'm being a dick. I know I'm being a dick. You are being a dick. I literally I wasn't saying it. he wasn't going to start. I was just yeah, saying yeah. that I'm Cam saying, Newton. It would have been interesting relevant, to see but, it. Yeah, I, I would yeah, like I to need, see the Patriots go 2-14. and 14. I apologize, Garrett. That was a bit yeah, that's all right. That's all right. He might come on the podcast. He's like, fuck those guys. Like, Why are they being so mean? Yeah, so let's talk about the running backs and Colby's really excited about James White. He's being drafted as a 32nd running back. That's 6.11. Last year was running back 18. He's only 28 years old and he's a receiving back. So that means he's going to be high in yards per touch. He's number two in yards per touch and number three in receiving yards. And Colby, talk to me about why you want James White on your team this year. I want James White because targets and PPR formats for running backs are just so valuable. And they have proven time and time again that they feed him the ball. I mm-hmm. actually anticipate them having to be forced to throw the ball a little bit more this year, particularly with defensive players sitting out. And I think uh, just the, the overall team regressing as a whole, they might be playing from behind. And I think that's going to open up the, the same opportunities that he's had in the past, especially with yeah. Cam needing those short targets to be mm-hmm. efficient. They're going to play to Cam's strengths. He's not accurate down the field. So for those reasons, I think James White will again be an RB2 as he's been over, what, the past four seasons? So The incredible thing about – go ahead. No, I just – I like what I'm getting with James White. I I know what I'm getting. So that makes me feel secure in a flex option. James White has outperformed his ADP the last five years in the league. That doesn't surprise me at all. It's like he gets underrated every season. And every year they have guys like uh, last year they had Sony Michelle I think going ahead of James White, even mm-hmm. though Sony Michelle isn't used in the passing game at all. And James White's role is so obvious. And James White was like running back ten at the end of twenty eighteen. Yes, I, I actually think he was running back seven. Which I had is him both wild. of the past two years, and he has been awesome. He's Just always... a snag in the seventh, eighth round, and yeah, well, like RB2. name one other running back going within five spots of him up or down that you can say oh he's gonna be an rb2 like i know it i mean maybe you're just david saying, montgomery or am i too low on him where's he going so you're saying maybe. you're saying maybe right. like this is the yeah for sure right like, he's, he's a lock he's an rb2 whether that's 24 and that might happen this season but for where he's being drafted he's a huge value because you know and what you're getting he's super consistent week to week so he's not gonna be losing you games if you got your running back two and let's say the rest of your team's strong and your running back two is averaging 13 points every single week you're not going to be upset now if you got david montgomery scoring two points then 15 points then two points and i had him and i wanted to fucking kill myself because <laughs> it sucked until and james and, white oh sits God, out because his wife had a baby and he misses a monday night game so you can't replace him he did that to me last year and that pissed me off but i still love him this <laughs> much so that. this should this should show you how much i love james white because i forgave him for that there's this headline that never ceases to make me angry at david montgomery because there's this headline and when the when everyone was blowing smoke up uh, Nagy and the Bears' ass, they said uh, Matt Nagy is pinching himself over David Montgomery, and something about the verbiage of that just made me makes me infuriated. Like, why would you pinch yourself over a running back? Like, what was he doing? 
did he just come in? He looks so beefy and strong. Like, oh my god, like it makes me mad. And then he comes out and he played three running backs all this in uh, the first snap. They said like he was like, oh, like who's my starting running back? I'm gonna play them all the first snap. Like that bullshit. Just run a fucking play, dude. Asshole. God, ran him up the the gut every time. All right, that's my tangent on Montgomery. I'm not drafting him. You know, you bring up David. You bring up David Montgomery. He was a rookie last year, obviously. But you got a couple rookies that are their ADPs are higher than James White. So I'm looking at DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, neither one. Cam Akers. Cam Akers too. Neither one walking into a third down role. Neither one even projected to be used in the passing game. And you're going to take that over the guy that outperforms his ADP every year that has even the upside to be an RB1? Yeah, he's done it. I've seen it. Give me James (laughs) White every day and twice on Sunday. So, yeah. How how are these experts not updating to James White? And why do they always shit on him in every player profile? They're like, oh, James White, blah, 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 blah. Cam Newton's a running quarterback, not going to target his running backs. Okay, who the fuck is Christian McCaffrey? Did that not happen two years ago? Like, what the fuck? They, oh, makes a bad taste in yeah. my mouth. Uh, I don't even want to talk about they Tony Michelle. Like he's uh, coached by Adam Gase or something. Yeah, dude, it makes no sense. And they act like the Patriots are going to be like the worst team in the league next year. And just everything's shit. Nothing's going to work. Like, you can, you can fade them and still be like, oh, they're probably going to pass it a little more. And maybe this will benefit this guy. And so they're like, oh, dude, fuck them all. Like, it's shit. Tom Brady's gone. <laughs> like, Cam Newton can still throw the ball some. And he can definitely throw it five yards down the field to James White. Oh, my God. I don't understand the analysis on James White. It's infuriating. Yeah. Well, I totally agree. <laughs> so the next running back on the depth chart, Sony Michelle. Dude, last year was just yeah, so, oh my God. so bad. Especially I owned him in a league. It's just terrible. Stone hands. Least efficient running back, or at least one of them. His production premium was negative 29.9. That was the 71st running back. And if you go back and watch the tape, they go out in I-form, and they run Michelle up the gut every time. And I've been talking about outside zone, how much more efficient it is. That is the exact opposite way of the way Sony Michelle is used. He's used in the most inefficient way possible. And Sonny Michelle is awesome in college. You know, I actually think Sonny Michelle is pretty good at football. But the way they use him as a power back, it's fucking shit. It's got no hope. And then you got Cam Newton that's going to be used in the goal line. Like, there's no hope for Sonny Michelle. And, and James White's catching all the passes. On, on third down, James White's going to be in there 100% yeah. of the time. So yeah. what are you getting with Sonny Michelle? He's going, what, 11 spots in ADP behind James White right now? Which is what, unbelievable. Is being, what, what round is he being drafted in? He's actually, right now, he's at 39. 8.06. Eighth round? Why not, Why would you just waste an eighth round pick? Like, there's so many receivers in the eighth round that are, like, somewhat promising. Why would you just throw it away? Why or running backs, burning? too. Running backs, too. You could wait and get a guy like your Antonio Gibson. Yeah, like, ups, like g- legitimate upside in a guy like Dobbins, Lindsey, and Gibson. And I, 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 I know I had to defend Gordon before, but I, I do agree with you. Lindsey's way better. So if the coaching staff is smart, then they should play Lindsay. I was just saying, like, if they're not smart and they want to, you know, have some allegiance to Gordon, it might not go that way. But yeah, I mean, I mean the Chargers had allegiance so to him. We kind of shit on Sony Michelle, rightfully so. Would you take him or David Montgomery? Uh, David Montgomery, if you oh Montgomery, you would. Okay, so you're really low on Montgomery's Sony. the guy. 
Yeah, well, Mag- yeah, because yeah, Montgomery, if they stop, if they start using Montgomery a little cleverly, and if they stop playing Cohen, because Cohen is actually extremely inefficient in the receiving game, then there's actually hope for Montgomery. There's literally no hope for Michelle. He's going to be unplayable this year. He's going to average, hopefully, I not even hopefully, probably around ten points a game, which is completely useless because you can't play it in the flex, and you can't put it at running back. So it's just a wasted pick. You know who they also bring back? They bring back Rex Burkhead. I don't know what the contract was, but the dude's coming off of every neck injury possible. Oh, I know. And he still has that weird little goal line role. Yeah. He's occasionally used in the passing game. But, yeah, dude, Sonny Michelle just a waste. And what are the receivers going around him? Sorry, I need to. Around Did... Sonny Michelle in the eighth yeah. round? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got to Josh Allen was. We talked about him earlier. Yeah, if you I mean, don't have you a QB get... at that point, if you're taking you Sonny Michelle, you should probably not play fantasy football. And if you look at the scarcity of it, because, like, you're going to play a flex and receiver because that's the most optimized lineup. Because, like, the drop-off between a wide receiver two and a wide receiver four is, is pretty small. It's pretty marginal. The gap between a running back two and a running back four is massive. So, like, my point is, oh, here- in the middle rounds around that range, just wait for a big upside. Don't waste it on a guy that has no upside and is going to be unplayable. When you can get a receiver that you can play in your flex every week. Okay, sorry. Yeah, we just talked about Jameson Crowder, and he's going in the 10th round. Yeah, and Jameson Crowder is a safe player that you you can put in your flex every week and feel all right about it. Sonny Michelle is going to be in waivers within two weeks. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. He he should probably go undrafted, in my opinion. No, he should. He should. He he should. If you go based on last year and the situation not improving – what are they banking on? He know. and Damian Harris have about the same draft value to me. No, so yeah. so here's let me give my Damian Harris pitch. So this is great. He, he was hurt last year for like the whole year, missed it. He's a third round pick, and I'm sure everyone here has heard of Josh Jacobs, the guy from the Raiders who was rookie of the year last year. Yeah, Damian Harris played ahead of him at Bama. Yeah, everyone but- everyone everyone talks about how Josh Jacobs was fresh. You know, he didn't have a lot of carries in college, so he's going to be good for the pros. That's because of Damian Harris. And Yeah, but, I mean, you could say the same. I mean, Michelle was awesome in college, too, and, like, he kind of outperformed Chubb We haven't college. seen Damian Harris. I'm saying that some guy – you haven't seen Antonio Gibson, you know. Yeah, but, but my hope – I think you're better off trying to project what their role is going to be. And the reason I say Gibson is not because Gibson's a sure thing at all, even remotely so. I like that he's really fast, but – it's not even the talent, really. It's just I know Turner loves to have a three-down back, and Gibson's the only guy there that really profiles as a guy that is really, really good in the receiving game. So he could play three downs. And, so that's it with Gibson. It's just and he's basically free for upside. Harris, so, there's actually so Harris. not upside. There's no How upside is there not there. upside? How is there not because upside? if he because, takes the Sony Michelle role, yeah, what are you getting? If, if, what about Sony Michelle right? at the at the end of 2018? This isn't it, that it was a, time though. It, it's it, well, no I shit. Just, yeah, we're drafting in 2020. I know. I just we can't. That's live what in I'm saying. Like, here. like just, I'm just confused, Garrett, because we we've established that Michelle's oh, role is dude, terrible. Dude, the fact no, it's well in 2018. Especially he, if he you have Damian terrible. Harris, let's say he takes the starting role, you're still having him come off the field every third down, not catching any passes. You've got Rex Burkhead so you're and saying, Cam Newton on the goal line to worry about. Yeah. it's just. It's not an appetizing role. And yeah, the role because Sony has bad. talent. That's Sony not the dispute. Sony just, the role is dysfunctional. Sony yeah. was taking people to playoffs in 2018. And yeah, it was 2018. But dude, 
Last last year was Tom Brady. This year is Cam Newton. Maybe that opens some things up a little bit. And I like but, Damian Harris's talent. And so here's the deal. Let me get back on my Antonio Gibson bullshit. Is the fact that Darius Geis is there, who also would probably tear his knee up first play of the game. Then you got old ass Adrian Peterson still there, and you got probably some other running backs that I'm not even aware <laughs> you just of. Just made the case against you. you I know. Old I'm ass Adrian Peterson. And yeah. Darius yeah. No. No. Geis no. I'm not making the case. NFL I'm not carries. And I'm not Antonio the... Gibson is the James White type of role. That's the one you want. It's you want the... a James. You want a James White type of role on probably the worst team in the NFL. Dude, he's getting I mean, seven receptions a game. Chris Thompson. Was Adrian Peterson is going to be on the field. <laughs> I mean, all right, we'll we'll see. And I, I mean, I'm not I'm even Gibson. I love Gibson, Gibson. Might like all right. This is my argument for Gibson. Gibson might come in and be electric because I know he is because he's got that incredible speed and just steal the three down roll with the coach that is known for playing running backs 100 percent of snaps. There's no one else that's done it. So I'm saying that's my long shot. It's just a dart. It's just a dart on a dartboard. But I I see the role as a three down, hundred percent snap guy. That's possible with Scott Turner. It's possible. I'm not saying it's even likely. I'm saying maybe it's a five ten percent chance. But if I got him and it actually hit, that would win the win the draft. With Harris, I just don't. I don't. What what best case scenario with Harris? I think it's a safer pick. There might not be the three-down roll upside, but it's a safer pick. A, it might be, but why would you go for safety? They took for Antonio Gibson because you're going to stretch yeah. on Antonio Gibson and get him in like the ninth round. Why? In the tenth round, yeah. What 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 is the ten, what is the tenth round pick? I mean, we've talked about. Do you want to waste a tenth round pick? Do you want to do no, that? I don't think it's a waste if it's upside. I think drafting Sony Michelle's a waste because there's no upside. What's the upside in Harris? That's what I'm trying to figure out. The if upside not... in Harris is a Sony Michelle from the end of 2018. No, it's a 2019 Michelle. That's the relevant year. Antonio Gibson's I, I a better understand. football player than both Sony Michelle and Damian Harris. So it's a, it's not the football player. It's the role is so unappetizing here as this Patriots running back yeah, like... in inside zone schemes. It, it's just. Well, but he didn't know it was an inside zone scheme until Colin said it. But we do. He did know how <laughs> Michelle was used last year. Like everyone knew he was only used in the I formation last year. That's why when De- maybe it was Devlin that got hurt, that everyone made a big deal about that. Oh, yeah. at the time. But my point was like the way Michelle was used last year. Maybe they changed that, and maybe that's the upside. But you can't argue for upside with Harris and shit on Michelle because like that's the role we're talking about. So like I'm saying why, the guy why, you got you want Michelle then, Garrett, if if you like how he's used in 2018 so much. Cuz I'm I'm looking at talent here and I, I saw a decrease in talent. I'm saying whenever a player doesn't perform, there's another player that's right behind him. But he's coming into his third year and he's a first round pick who has immense talent. That, this, that's is yeah, I mean, this is his second year. This is his second year. Sony what, Michelle. What's the I'm talking about Sony Michelle. Better than Michelle. I yeah, don't understand. I, I just think that Sony has the talent and that's why he's yeah, got I don't, the job. I don't blame it's just Sony. not a good role. I, yeah, I think Sony's like if you watch him on Georgia, he was really fucking good. He was good in 2018, last uh, two. Michelle's pretty good, but I don't think Harris is good. He didn't do anything to suggest he was good. And even at Bama, he was way outproduced by Jacobs, even though Jacobs was playing less. So, like, I actually don't trust Harris's talent. All right. Look at us arguing over RB5. I was, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, man, these guys are... Probably irrelevant, but the banter's right. good. I mean, I'm not saying Damien Harris is going to end up on my roster, but I'm just saying that, hell, look out for his name, too. If he pops up, hell, he might go off. We don't know. No, we don't okay, know. and another thing is, like, 
if, if I'm going to get on this train, I'm saying if you're going to be on this train, you should probably apply it to Michelle as well. But, and I've decided not to be on that train. But again, if you're going to make that argument, um, I'm, I no, I'm not well, the difference. I don't think the that's difference... a terrible argument. I'm not saying it's a bad argument. Like if you look at uh, who is it, Jonas Gray with Belichick when he had like 40 carries and 200 yards and three touchdowns or something. Do you remember that game? Yeah, I do. Yeah. What I'm trying to say, Belichick changes his scheme constantly. That's fair. So That's very fair. There is the possibility they just start like pounding the ball or something with Michelle. You know, like things could change. That's fair. And the constant is James White. So. Yeah, true. Yeah, we but, yeah you're right. James you're right. But there is there is some upside to Michelle and uh, Harris that I wasn't granting. A scheme change is possible, but I'd rather bet on White still. Yourself. We got to move on here. Let's talk about the wide receivers. And they're still bringing back Julian Edelman. He's 34 years old. Actually had a really good year last year. He was wide receiver number seven. And he's the, one of the most consistent wide receivers in the league. Mm-hmm. And also- you got to take into account the slot role is a little different than like uh, an outside receiver that relies on his top speed to, uh, you know, dominate teams. Like maybe like a Julio. Like right. Julio is not going to be Julio when he's 34. Edelman can still be Edelman at 34 the same as when he was 33, you know, like he should be able to still do similar things athletically because you don't have to be the same type of player. I agree. Yeah. So last year, number four in receptions, number five in red zone receptions, uh, even dealt with a rib injury pretty much all year. So still doing he's a it. warrior, dude. Like I have a lot of respect for Julian Edelman. And right now he's being drafted as wide receiver 30. Oh, so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm actually a little low on him i might need to reconsider because here i'm looking at my wide receiver rankings i've got him at 34 i was not (laughs) high on him when i made my board but i I might need Uh, to reconsider let me look at my board how do you have him at 34 and Nikhil harry at like 60 who's catching it's only james white he's got james white penciled in for 200 receptions (laughs) yeah he's gonna break michael thomas's record next year (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for it. I'd love um, it because I'm going to have him. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been wondering because, like, uh, we obviously all play in the league together, and I always have White ranked appropriately, and he never ends up on my team. And I think I just figured out why. I guess Colby just takes him before I do every time. <laughs> I do. I draft him in the fifth or sixth round every fucking year, dude. And I never regret Wait. it. I've never regretted oh, damn. it. damn. You see, I like Edelman, and then I look at my board, and I got him at 36. So... <laughs> See, we might need to adjust, and that's why I we do this. I have behind Jamison Crowder. I mean, that could happen. Yeah, but... no, I actually feel really okay about that, to be honest. But I don't know about 36. I mean, I think he's going to regress, hard. but not to that extent. I don't know. I don't know. I if... think it... Edelman actually is kind of scary, to be honest. He is scary, Yeah, but I don't think he's wide receiver 30 or 36 scary. He could yeah. be... He could yeah. be a 25, maybe, you know. Yeah, sure. Potential think, flex. I think I just don't like what I don't understand. And, you know, it having him at 36, maybe that doesn't mean I think he'll necessarily finish that low. But it kind of just means I'm guaranteed not to draft him if I have him yeah. that low on my list. So that's kind of what it's used for. Okay. He yeah. just seems scary to me. What, what? Anyone got an argument for Edelman? No, no, I mean, I might reassess, bump him up a little bit, but uh, I, I'm same as you. It's an uncertain situation, so I'm probably avoiding him. Yep. I mean, Cam, Cam's pretty good. Like, he's not terrible, you know? Yeah. Maybe he'll be that Greg Olson, middle of the field type of guy. Or, or like uh, a uh, Steve Smith. 
Yeah, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's possible, but like, yeah, I just don't know how that's going to look, and it seems a little speculative, so rather avoid. Yeah, and then another guy that they traded for last year, they actually spent a second round pick is Muhammad Sanu. Oh my god, why would anyone do that? Like, think about receivers and how important talent is at the receiver position, you know, to dominate targets and stuff. Sanu is less talented than both of the Falcons receivers, consistently outperformed by them. Why would you trade a second round pick on him? How is Amari Cooper worth a yards. first and Sanu's worth a second? That that makes no sense. Yeah, that was a desperation try to get Tom Brady some help last year when things looked really bad. <laughs> or how's DeAndre Hawkins worth a worth David, David Johnson. Johnson and a fourth rounder? I mean, geez. Can't compare anything to what Bill O'Brien's doing. Makes no That's sense. a whole or other Diggs, story. I guess Diggs was pretty expensive. But yeah, I don't I don't understand what's going on there. That's a terrible pick. So, Mohamed Sanu, he's not fast, not efficient, 31 years old. I don't know what his role is going to be on this team, but I don't think it's going to be that big. But a guy that I am excited about and my colleagues are not as excited about, Nikhil Harry. So, last year he missed nine games to his ankle injury. Second-year guy from ASU. who was a first-round pick. First-round pick. And he's a three-year guy from college. Oh. So, Everything's yeah, I mean, checking the box, you know? Yeah, Four, you five. know, actually, I, I thought about what you said, and it's kind of one of those things, like, I feel like I learn every time I have an argument with someone, even if I act, even if it seems like I'm just shitting on them and disagreeing with them the whole time, in the back of my head, the wheels are turning, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, maybe, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I, I realized how things on that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying I learned some things on the Gibson debate, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, having uh, Edelman so low, because I do think it's a bit scary, like, they they got to throw it to somebody, and I mean, it, it was when you mentioned earlier when we were off air. Garrett was mentioning like guys that Cam Newton had supported with Funches, who sucks, right? Funches sucks, but he's mm-hmm. a contested catch guy. Everyone mm-hmm. says Nikhil Harry's a contested catch guy, and then Kelvin Benjamin, he also sucks, but he's a contested catch guy. So I mean, Harry doesn't even have to be that good to play in that role, I guess. The point is, if they don't throw it to Edelman. Harry's probably going to be fantasy relevant, you got to assume, right? Or even yeah. if they do. And his ADP is at 53. I think he'll definitely finish above 53. And Colby and I were working on a bet for where he would finish after six weeks. Colby believes he'll be on waivers, and I think he could be relevant after six yeah, weeks. Yeah, you know, and then Colin's right about, you know, kind of reconsidering. But at the same time, I, oh, wow. Now, listen, wow. Cam Newton is an inefficient quarterback who, at the most, is going to throw the ball about 500 times this season if he stays healthy all 16 games. He's going to complete 55 to 60% of those. So your, your numbers of completions in this offense are only looking at being anywhere in the range of 250 to 275, in my opinion. There's not a lot of receptions to go around. I like the consistency now that I've kind of reconsidered about Edelman. I know what I'm getting with White. Um, Sanu, I I don't give a shit about whatsoever. He, Are you saying? Yeah. Oh. But, but I, I, there still don't seem to be that many leftover receptions for another option. I don't think this offense will be efficient or, or move well, and that's kind of the stance that I've taken. And, and for yeah. that reason, I'm kind of avoiding the Patriots I, I offense do think, outside yeah. of James White. I do think it's a bit speculative. I, I agree that it's a bit speculative, but I mean, it's free, you know? So let's say if you're a Harry truther, he's not a rookie anymore. You know, he might be a little more comfortable in the offense. 
I mean, he it's possible he could even take over the number one role on the team, honestly. He's, he's a lot younger than Edelman. You know, maybe Edelman starts training down in the offense. I mean, it, it's not impossible, but yeah. it doesn't feel likely to me. And I feel like I just understand – I understand Perriman's role better. Mm-hmm. I'm a little more excited about Anderson. Even McCole Hardman is kind of exciting to me comparatively. Everyone wants a piece of that ass in Kansas City. So, yeah, yeah right. I mean, and, and he's another speedster, and he was super efficient last year. But like, I get it. Like, let's say you think someone has to play well in the Patriots, then fair enough. The one thing I will say about it, and again, I, it probably goes back to talent. So if you believe in Harry's talent, then he can maybe sustain in this role. But you remember when Edelman was suspended for a few weeks, mm-hmm. a couple years ago? Mm-hmm. Well, that year I was like, similarly, I was like. They got to throw it to somebody. Who's the best receiver on the Patriots now? And I guess the answer would have been Gronk and White. But that's not what my mind said. My mind said, who's the best wide receiver on the Patriots now? So all of a sudden, I got Chris Hogan shooting up my board. So like 18. And I mean, I don't think I need to tell you all, but that went very poorly for me. So this is a little different. It's a bit different. But I'm saying like, (laughs) this is Cam Newton support more than two options. Probably not. So it's probably Edelman and White. Yep, and that, that's my thought exactly. For that reason, I would have Nikhil Harry most definitely out of the top 40. I know he's going at 53 right now. You mentioned that a minute ago, Gary. But he, if we wanted to make a bet, he would not, through week six, be a top 40 wide receiver. To all all I want to say, Gary, is I would like you to say Harry is either going to outperform Edelman or White or – or Cam Newton is going to play well enough to support three relevant fantasy players. That That's all I would like you to give me with Harry. My rankings don't support this. <laughs> but I'm going to say Nikhil Harry outperforms Julian Edelman. Oh, okay, that's fair. Oh, you're, you're, saying that's the, you're saying that's the upside. You know, that's the upside. Saying, yeah. If right. there's a 30% chance of that happening, then it justifies his spot, which is my Antonio Gibson argument. I'm not saying it's going to happen. And my rankings aren't going to uh, reflect that, or else Antonio Gibson, you know, would be like RV8, which would be unreasonable. Mm-hmm. But sometimes a certain likelihood of it happening justifies taking a shot at it. So that's fair. Yeah. If you the believe one, in your guy, you got to go get him. Yep. The one thing against this is, I mean, obviously you got all this COVID shit, so you can't really get any preseason action or whatever. Mm-hmm. But go, I'm, I'm telling you, go watch Nikhil Harry's highlights, and they're pretty dang good. And it's pretty crazy because Arizona State keeps bumping out those uh, first-round wide receivers. This past year was Brandon Ayuk, and I watched some of his tapes, and he's pretty good too. Who, who is uh, who, who else had Jalen Strong? He probably wasn't a first-rounder, but I think he was Arizona State as well. But uh, the the one thing I will say is those contested catch wide receivers are the most tricky to predict as it translates into the NFL because – contested catch receivers they like dominate the smaller corners they play against obviously that's what i'm saying go watch his tape because he actually runs some decent routes like okay i mean it might not be you know elite but it might not be adam Thielen, but yeah no one can do what he's doing (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know you know colby colby and i were working on a bet before before we were on air and i said top 40 and i'm willing to go top 40 colby if you're gonna through week six, if, yeah. if he's healthy. Okay. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. He plays, he plays all the games, okay. yep. Let's, okay, uh, so would you we'll, put 20 we'll bucks? We're oh, working yeah. on it. <laughs> right, 20 uh, bucks, a couple of y'all, units. Y'all need to Gwego that. Yeah, Gwego. so we – Gwego. Anyways, 
let's just keep moving on this Patriots depth chart. Looking at yeah, tight ends, yeah. tight ends. This is oh, probably yeah. arguably the least productive tight end group from last yeah, year. They yeah. drafted two guys, and you can't really expect some rookie guys to nah. go out there and just perform. But I mean, it's it something to look out cool. for. It's something to look out for, like in the next couple of years, because one of these guys is probably going to pan out. Yeah, and I like, mean, think it, about it from the Patriots' perspective. Like, does anyone know how to utilize a tight end better than the Patriots? No, they they utilized two of them for at one greater point. yeah. And, and what did they do? I, maybe that's what they're thinking. Remember, they're like, let's start getting on that shit again. I mean, one of them's super fast too. The second one they took is even a better receiver than the first one they took. Is it Dalton Keene? Uh, is he the one that was taken uh, behind the other one? I think the first one's Devin Asiasi or something. But you know what's interesting? He traded up to get both of these guys. And mm. yeah, it's super interesting. Like like think about it. Is it a situation to where they're just like, you know what? Let's get back on that Gronk Hernandez bullshit. So I mean, and I'm I assume like a few people that listen to this are in Dynasty. So if you're in a Dynasty league and you got space, like it might be worth taking a you know taking a little stash on one of them because that could be really cool down the line. But it's kind of a risk at the same time because I mean you're just you're taking a guess on which guy's going to pan out. I don't know. You know. It could even be I, honestly. 12 personnel is the trend right now as well. It's true. Like just how 11 personnel was viewed like three or four years ago. That's 12 personnel right now. That's what all of them are talking about. And it's a copycat league. That's true. Patriots only ran 54% of 11 personnel Mm -hmm. last year. So it's not going to be this year, but think about it. Let's imagine a world where Julian Edelman retires and you got these two up and coming tight ends. And uh, Nikhil Harrow will probably be wide receiver one at that point. Yeah. And maybe he's playing as an X. <laughs> Either way, like the middle of the field is wide open. The perfect sure. scenario for 12 personnel. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not an NFL GM, but I kind of feel like I'm in their head a little bit with this. Yeah. <laughs> I just imagined that scenario and saw James White getting 100 targets and oh, I made me so happy. Yep. He's, he's just like 37 years old. He's just Christian old. McCaffrey now. One thing I will say about James White, he's actually like arguably the least efficient running back in the league at running the ball. I don't. So care. They should never hand him the ball. I mean, I don't care. Yeah, but <laughs> that's he's so dynamic out of the backfield. Yeah, but, I love him. Great guy. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is like Shane Vereen. People used to love him, and then he was just gone. They're just like, okay, thanks. And then he just bounced off to the Giants. They're like, All right, you can go fuck right off now. They're gonna <laughs> if probably the Patriots do that decided they were too. done with James White, the exact same thing would happen. Yeah, no, it would. Yeah, that was and the Deion Lewis. Whenever Deion Lewis went to the Titans, it was over. Yeah. They don't care. They just use them up, and then they'll be gone. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's some other guy in a couple years. But that's football for you, isn't it? Unless you like the Rams and the Cowboys that love to overpay their running backs. (laughs) It's really panned out well. Dude, it's so funny that the Rams owner came out after they signed Gurley, and he said, we want to be known as an organization that takes care of our players. Like, is that not the most pushy shit you've ever heard in your life? And then they got cut him the next year. Like, yeah. oh, such such classic LA Rams. You know what's interesting? Still talking about Patriots staff. So the defensive coordinator, I mean, Bill Belichick has a big, big say, but it was Belichick's son. Um, fuck, I don't know his name. But his other, his other son is now on the staff, too. So, yeah. Wow. Three Real family operation. Yeah. So I mean, who better to learn from? And I'm not even gonna shit on the uh, nepotism of it because it actually fucking works. You got uh, Kyle Shanahan that learned straight from his dad and runs pretty much the same scheme. Like Turner. it works. 
The Turners? Yeah, the Turners. I mean, if you learn a scheme and you're not, like, dumb, then <laughs> <laughs> it should be that hard. I don't know. Yeah, interesting stuff. Oh, shit, it's late. We need to we need to cut this. <laughs> yeah, we're just chatting at this point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, should we talk it, about their it. defense? Should we talk nah. about their defense? Okay, that's I mean, uh, defenses regress from year to year. Yeah, they'll, they'll be don't, good, don't, but don't, don't reach on them. Don't be that guy that gets, like, the Patriots defense in the seventh round. Like, I swear, no one ever learns. Maybe it's because there's so many people that play for the first time. They're like, oh, wow, oh, this defense do it. was awesome. Like, think about how many people were drafting the Bears super early last year, and then I don't can't remember who it was the year before. Jags. That was The Jags, like, it never works. It mm-hmm. never, ever works. Patriots is going to be, like, example 9,000 of that. <laughs> It was crazy how they were putting up wide receiver yeah. one numbers. Yeah, but, like, I mean, a lot of that was like special teams touchdowns. It was just an absurd situation. Yeah. Pretty crazy. But yeah, that pretty much wraps it up. And this division is obviously pretty shitty, so we touched on a bunch of other bunch of other topics that are pretty fun. We hope you all turn in next week as we take on the NFC West. taste in my mouth. Why would you pinch